0: Buddy. it is season seven book to show time we're so happy to be back with our friends from radio westeros lady gwen and yoke boy and of course ashay here running production handling the live stream uh production angles and all the technical side of things also going to be helping us answer questions and discuss the episode well first of all let me welcome back radio westeros i said y'all's names but say hi to everybody
1: Hi guys, it's great to be back for another season. Every year we like to do this, don't we? We don't cover the show on our own channel, so what better to do than come on to History of Westeros and uh, talk about the show? I'm Yoke Boy, by the way.
2: And I'm Lloyd Gwynn, and I'm really excited to be back for season seven.
0: Heck yeah. All right, so this episode is protected by the House of Black and White. Don't mess with us or someone with no face will come for you. This episode was really fun in that it seems to focus on setup and development, and that's something that maybe the show doesn't do enough of uh, for understandable reasons often, but still, whatever the reasons, they often skip over a lot of character development setup in the dramatic scenes and focus more on action a lot of times. So it was nice to see a lot of setup and character development. And despite the fact that the show is well past the books, There is still a lot to talk about. There are still a lot of parallels to be made. There's still a lot to predict, a lot that the show can tell us about the books. And heck, there's still a few things the books can tell us about the show, as surprising as that is, to hear at this point. And as we learned with the River Run plot, for example, just because it seems like the moment has passed for a book book plot point we sometimes can be wrong about that. Sometimes it seems like, oh, I guess they're just not going to do that in the show. And sometimes they do it anyway. They come back, and there we are. So we never can fully put everything to bed in some cases. So, uh, And I, and I want to point out also that there's a lot of different ways that we book readers interact with the show. Some people simply give up on it. <laughs> some love it. Some like it, but don't want to be spoiled on plot points, so they kind of set the the show aside so that they can watch the show after they've read the books. I don't know how someone like that avoids spoilers, but more power to you if you can. Some watch the show while hating a lot of it, but they love the series, the book, so much that they're hoping that because the show is very compartmental and there's so many different storylines, they're hoping that some of the scenes nail the, what happened in the book. So you can at least just say, well, I didn't like that episode, but I like this one scene. It was very true to the books, et cetera. So that's just another way to enjoy it. For me, I can't speak for anyone else in our group. I just in general enjoy the show. I appreciate it for what it is. I know it's nowhere near the books. It's never going to match the books, but what adaptation ever could? So I that's how I feel about it. And I hope my compadres here feel similarly I know if I say something out of line, they'll jump in and tell me, Aziz, you're wrong. Don't talk for me like that. (laughs) So we've got a lot of you guys here in the chat room. We're seeing it fill up here and a couple of announcements before we get started. We're going to try to do this around the same time all season long. We're going to try to do as many of them live as possible because it allows you all to interact with us and ask us questions. We're also, but we may vary the days sometimes because of real world work schedules and, and other things like that. We tried to gather a lot of questions in advance. A lot of you guys, especially patrons, but also folks who follow us on Twitter and Facebook have sent us questions. I tried to gather everything. Now, today, on a personal note, we had a lot of plumbing issues. We're having a lot of just random things go wrong with our house. And in a short period of time, it's hard to gather everything. So I hope, I'm pretty sure we got all your questions gathered. But if anyone's question was missed, we apologize. But it's because we were hurrying. I actually... Ate the only meal of the day I've had today in the shower. I was actually showering while eating and drinking coffee, and (laughs) it made me feel like the TV show. The TV show is always combining things for efficiency to get things done quickly, right? They combine characters and plot points. Well, hey, so I was right there doing the same thing. (laughs) I'm not exaggerating, by the way. I really was eating in the shower. Bacon. Bacon. Yes, bacon in the shower. Bacon and coffee in the shower. That's that's living large, right? So we've also, if if you all haven't seen any of our preseason episodes, if you haven't watched our show only review with Sean, I want to take a minute and remind you guys, if you're listening to this on podcast, check out the ACAST. That's the letter A and the word cast, one word. It's a free player. We're not being paid to promote it. It's just perfect for our needs, which is. We're allowed to put images up. We have images in this video of the show of certain scenes. Those same images are in the podcast player. That's right, images in an audio-only podcast. So you can browse them at your at your leisure. You don't have to you know, be forced to look at them while you're driving, but they're there. And you click on the episode in your phone, and you can just scroll through the images or follow along as they go. So that is really cool. highly recommend it. couple other shout-outs real quick before we get going. Most of our interactions during the season with you guys from day to day is on Twitter. That's true for Radio Westeros as well. So I highly recommend following us on Twitter as well as Radio Westeros. They're at Radio Westeros. We're at Westeros History. And it's a great way to interact with us. We do a lot of polls. We do a lot of fun stuff like that. And sometimes it's a good way to talk to us directly. Also want to give thanks to Joe Buckley of Tower of the Hand for helping us with this document and also doing some work for us on our book only episodes. Meaning our most recently or most particularly mm-hmm. is our Blackfish episode, which I apologize. It's not out yet. I said it would be out before the season, but oh, I guess I, I guess I lied. <laughs> Sorry, folks, but we'll have that out, especially for y'all who aren't super interested in the show. Book only material coming up soon. So we'll be doing that. Front of episode patrons, that is Lord Mark of House Joseph, the snow in Winterfell. You can see Masala Cartho on screen here. The white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons looking pretty fierce there. And Did we ever
3: say what we discovered that we didn't realize about Masala Cartho? What's that? That... Maslow Cartho has the same colors as Aegon the Fifth. That's right. Aegon the, the Fifth Dragon
0: Egg. You're totally yeah. right. Egg, the best Aegon. Yeah. <laughs> egg <Exactly>. himself. <laughs>
3: it, was, it really it made me happy when I discovered that.
0: Yeah. So well chosen, Lord Mark of House <laughs> Joseph, you and your family there. Okay. So also thanks to Sir Jeff Gnarly, the Long Snapper, a history of Westeros' first sword. And let's get started. Let's go to the wall. What do you have to say about the wall, Lady Gwen?
2: Well, you know, we, we see a very brief scene of Bran and Mira uh, arriving at the wall and then going through the tunnel. And I'm just wondering if anyone else got that uh-oh feeling when, when they went into the tunnel. Um, referring, of course, to Bran having the Night King's mark, which is what allowed the others and their army into the cave last season. So, you know, I can't help but wonder if he just inadvertently gave them passage through the wall by seeking That safety. might be
0: why we saw that army marching. They may be like, hey, now we can get through. Exactly. Let's, let's do that. <laughs> I tend to think it will be a different mechanism. I think the magic in the wall is different than the magic of Blood Ravens Cave. It's at least more potent, but it, I, that's not a theory I have a lot of confidence in. That's just kind of how I'm leaning. Any other takes on that? What did you guys think of those white giants? How cool is that? <laughs> uh, it
2: was really cool. Was at least three I counted. Um, yeah, know, it, same, same. My
3: uh, favorite joke I've seen about those white giants was uh, Mag the Whitey. <laughs> was that <laughs> a good one? <laughs> good
0: one. That's good. That's good. So as far as the books go, comparing that scene to what we might see in the books, there's a couple things. Yoke Boy, you have a uh a, a take on this you noticed something that is seems to be a compa- a comparison that's worthy
1: yeah the, there's a this kind of obvious kind of mist or fog that you see around the others now to kind of denote that they're coming i don't think it's going to be the same you know in the, in the books as it is in the show but in the books i think that's going to be more more weaponized uh, the it's called white cold by cruster's daughters and it's described like a kind of icy mist And in A Dance With Dragon, Tormund talks about it. He says, A man can fight the dead, but when their masters come, when the white mists rise up, how do you fight a mist crow? Shadows with teeth, air so cold it hurts to breathe, like a knife inside your chest. You do not know, you cannot know, can your sword cut cold? So we see here that it's more of a weapon, it's more of a visual thing in the show. But yeah. certainly in the books, it's something to look out
0: for, this kind of
1: mist, like the others are actually part of
0: nature. And I think it's important to note as well that what's cool about this, well, there's a lot of things cool about this, is that Bran sees it and it's sort of not a werewood, it's not a wherewood vision. He's maybe just doing a skin-changing thing. Maybe he was seeing all that through a raven's eyes or something. Uh, but in the books, we're told that Bloodraven tells Bran that You'll need the werewood network at first, but over time, you'll you'll be able to go look wherever you need to without the werewood. So I'm not sure that this proves that he was skin-changing. But from the show's perspective, maybe that's what we should be thinking. That said, it didn't really look like he was using any particular animal. It yeah, like- it
3: didn't, to me... We we talked about it right after the episode because uh, we were asked whether we thought that was a vision of the present or the future or the past or what have you. And one, Bran isn't connected to a warewood, were- but it's magic, so we can't completely discount that. But two, the way the camera was moving in that scene, it was moving like he was a flying creature, like he was a raven flying through there. Yeah. So I tend to think that he was skin changing and that that was what was happening at that moment.
0: I think that's probably true. I, I, I have some reason to doubt it, but I still lean towards what you're saying as well. Any other takes on that?
2: No, I'd say I would pretty much agree with that. That's...
0: Okay. One cool thing, too, though, is that we're shown this vision from two places. Obviously, Sandor has a vision that's the, very similar, maybe of the future rather than of the present. I got the sense that Bran's vision was of the present and that Sandor's was the future. Because Sandor happened to was making it sound like... He was seeing them already past the wall. He was seeing them already past each watch, already into the north. So if he was seeing a vision of the present, well then, whoa, the others are already in the (laughs) north, which I kind of doubt. But, wow. Did you guys see it that way too? Anyone else have a different take on that?
3: Yeah, I saw it as present and future for sure. That that is Sandor seeing his future and the future of many, many other people.
2: Yes.
0: And I like that it's uh, an ice vision vision. And a fire vision, like the two different mediums are being used to show us the same kind of thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, a little uh, note here. We're, there's not a lot to say about Brand at this point. There's just a really brief scene. There's maybe some Im- bigger implications, but we have a lot to cover. So we're not going to talk too much about Brand unless you guys have specific questions. Now, as far as specific questions go, the chat room is busy. It's really hard for us to grab questions from the chat room. But there's a new feature that Google has added to, or YouTube has added, same difference, (laughs) uh, which is called Super Chat. You'll see a little dollar sign button by the chat box. And if you click on that, it allows you to make a live donation. And that makes your chat comments stay at the top, which means you can attach a question to your donation. And that makes sure that we see it. I believe
3: it isn't there for everyone. Like I think some mobile devices don't actually have that button. So if you don't see it, that's why. But if you were on a computer, you would see it.
0: Remember, again, like I said, you can always send us questions in advance, and that also gives us more time to think about them. But if you want to, ch- want to do that, the Super Chat is available, and we're going to be splitting any revenue from that with Radio Westeros as well, so you guys can be helping out both of our shows at the same time. <laughs> okay. Anyway, moving on. Let's talk about the North. Let's go on to there and talk about Liana.
2: <laughs> Liana
0: kicking butt as usual, shutting people down, saying, uh, saying how it is, and being right. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, uh, <laughs> she's amazing, isn't she? I mean, it, it's it's no big surprise, really, because the more that you know, she's on board with this, because the more Mont women are fighters, Um you know, mm-hmm. obviously all in the books, they're all fighters. Uh, so, but still, her her reaction, just you know, shutting down. <laughs> uh, Lord, yeah, Glover, I love that, that nod was,
3: they had back and forth yeah, to each other, yeah. and. Yeah. Watching the scene, I was like, this is fan service. They know how popular Leona Mormont is, and I don't care because yeah. I love her. I'd Sometimes want more of her. fan
0: <laughs> service is exactly what we want. Yeah. We are <laughs> fans. A we want that. to be serviced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do not mind that at all. That is the t- kind of pandering I will accept in large amounts. Yeah. Uh, Here's a question I posed to our show-only crowd as well. Uh, someone else asked this question. I thought it was pretty, pretty clever. Will Sansa learn to fight as well? Does the training... Does training every Northern girl involve her? She's over 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would think Brienne would be the one to teach her that's, if anyone does. Yeah, that's
2: what I was thinking, that, you know, you, you've got Brienne there uh, training Pod. Why wouldn't she train Sansa as well, uh, which will be interesting in light of what kind of we think is in Sansa's future um, in terms of little finger and stuff like that. So, you know, put a sword in that girl's hands. Why not?
0: <laughs> yeah, if she wants to rule... That would really give her a lot of clout with the Northerners. A girl who, who fights would, you know, because they're such, the, the Northerners are so martial and they're kind of against women leaders, but if she's a Stark, a badass at the same time, then she would change the minds yeah. pretty quickly. Talk about a she-wolf. I
3: want her to get some training in before
2: Arya gets up there.
0: <laughs> they could spar. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that would be a surprise, surprising <laughs> brain, yeah. Yes,
0: yes it would. Okay, let's talk about this Karstark Umber thing. I like this that I like how that went down. I, th- I thought I it was cool that Sansa challenged John on his decision, mm-hmm. and because partly because it shows where their both their heads are. You can yeah. it, it, it's like ah, Sansa's learned from Cersei. This is the lesson she's learned from Cersei and Littlefinger, whereas John is expressing the lessons he learned from their father. Well, not her, not his father, but you know, uh-huh. his his the man who raised him. This is still his father. It's still mm-hmm. his father. It's not his sire, and and also his experience. He's he's in the unusual position of getting to make uh, learn from mistakes that got him killed. Yes. <laughs> it's like usually, you don't <laughs> right. get a second chance for that. Right. So, so, Lady Gwen, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I and I really thought Sansa's reaction is she's it's understandable. I mean, you think about. Uh, Rickon, and if you just keep that one fact, never mind her own experiences, but you know, the the betrayal of Rickon and his death. Um so totally understandable that she'd have this very strong reaction, but I thought John's decision was really masterful. I mean his leadership, um it seems to be on par with what it showed what we see in the books. This you know, like you said, he gives these examples of his own kind of justice, he invokes Ned um, and then what he does is basically ensures that those two houses are back in the fold, firmly back in the fold by showing mercy. And I thought there's, there's an interesting quote from Tywin regarding, um, you know, helping your enemies or, well, you know, bringing people back into the fold when Tywin tells Tyrion, when your enemies defy you, you serve them steel and fire, but when they go to their knees, help them back to their feet. Elsewise, no man will ever bend the knee to. So it's kind of shades of that, even. So yeah. it is a really Good great Good advice moment. from Tywin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I
3: really liked this sansa John interaction. I've, I've seen some complaints about some things about it, and that, that wasn't the time or the place for Sansa to raise these concerns. But I think that... One, maybe Sansa is smart enough to know that she shouldn't do it in such a public way, but I think she's also smart enough to know that this is when the decision is being made and they haven't talked about it. If she wants to be heard, it's mm-hmm. that or nothing. Right. So I don't think that it was a misplay. I think it would have been a better play and that she might have gotten more of what she wanted if she talked to him in private before this large public meeting. And um, Or
0: maybe she could have said the thing she said without being so confrontational. She could have said, oh, so they don't get, you know, so the, the loyalists <laughs> aren't deserved." She could have been a little less like... Yeah. You know, she could have been more diplomatic about it. Yeah, but. I
3: think she could have handled it a little bit more delicately, but I don't think it was a mistake for her to do that. And I think that uh, she clearly had a lot of support from the men in the hall. A
0: lot of people were agreeing with her. You're right. And she, yeah, she, she definitely had support. That's very true.
3: I liked seeing Alice Karstark, too. Obviously, she's a character in the books. She's looking a little bit more like Sansa than Arya in this <laughs> scene. Uh, if Melisandre had had a vision of her, it would have been Sansa, I suppose, with that red, red hair.
0: <laughs> yeah, they kind of... I, I kind of liked the casting. The red hair was a little odd, but not in a bad way. I just weren't expecting that. But... A little, she was a little bit like, she was super slender and a little awkward looking, which is exactly how Alice Karstark is described. Yeah, and I liked her
3: sword <laughs> that she had, she did have one.
0: So that was cool. Mm-hmm. And little little Ned Umber there, it was kind of cool that they made him Ned Umber, <laughs> that's nice. And
3: one plot line that's in the books that we kind of assume we're not going to see, but I wouldn't say that it's off the table, is, you know, Alice Stark obviously has a marriage. In the books, it's to, you know, a Then, but that obviously wouldn't be the case here, given what they've done to the Thens and the Wildlings. But I could see them still brokering a marriage here. It seems a little uh, besides the point of everything.
0: I was half, yeah, I agree. I was half expecting it to be the way to go. Like, John, Sansa brings up these good points, and rather than John just deciding to go with his decision which you know he explained fully it was it it was sensible but he could have compromised and you know combined those two ideas and married Ned Umber or Alice Karstark who borrowing from the book not necessarily to a wilding but to some other house that had stayed loyal and then it's sort of like you're binding a loyalist to this house etc
3: yeah yeah
0: Super chat from Snow in Winterfell. Mark oh. Joseph, thanks buddy. Hey, sorry I'm late. His sons are keeping him busy. Yes, uh-huh. that is he that missed is understandable the car, mm-hmm, That's right. right. Or is the, you're sure your dragon's not keeping you busy? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark's helping us out uh, admitting some of the chat in there. We appreciate that very much. So, let's talk a little more about this scene. There's a lot of things happening. I really appreciated the little talk at the beginning about the arming everybody with obsidian. That's how the talk of training girls was, was segued to. And that was really good. I liked that when they when they deal with that. And, of course, there's a lot of talk of, of dragonglass throughout the episode, so we'll be coming back to that. But we also have the talk of Tormund and the wildlings manning Eastwatch, which is really interesting. And, of course, as we know pretty well from the books, Eastwatch is, well, there's a lot potentially happening on there. Not only do we have dead things in the water and possibly... You know whatever is going on with hard home in the books, which is a good, be- good bit different. So there's a lot of kind of things coming together there that sh- very possibly will be similar to what we've seen in the books, except for the wildlings manning the the east watch itself. But that should still be relatively similar in the end. And this is also the place that Sandor appears to be seeing in his fire vision, which we'll talk about a little more when we get to Sandor. Uh, Yoke boy, what did you think? Yeah,
1: it's interesting. T- Tormund going out there and. This is a spoiler. Everyone's seen the trailers who are watching this. You you know, we do see Tormund in action, don't don't we? So we know some some trouble is coming, and you, you'd have to link it to, to the
0: voyage to Eastwatch and beyond. That's true. In the books we have a vision like this for Melisandre, and a lot of people in the deeper fandom think Melisandra is not seeing Eastwatch, that she's seeing Old Town. So either maybe the book is
2: Eastwatch after all,
0: or maybe this is Lady Gwen, you thought maybe this was just the way the show saw it? Just
2: playing devil's advocate, you know, and this illustrates the point, the uh, difficulty of trying to interpret the books from the show or vice versa. Could just be yes. D&D's interpretation of her vision, yeah. you know. Like,
0: Maybe they think Mel's right. Maybe yeah, they didn't right. think of Old Town. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I I can buy that for sure. Yeah.
2: I could see this just being them just putting this
3: in the show and not even thinking of the vision at all for this. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. 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 Take
0: that idea. Take that seed of an idea and just use it instead of yeah. misdirection. Use it for real. Right. So a lot of possibilities that are all fairly similar. That they all amount to the same basic thing, which is that the Walkers and their huge army are going to try to get around the wall or through the wall at Eastwatch. Do you guys have, if if it's the marking, if it's Brand's marking that allows them to pass the wall, then that would fit with this because now we can just walk right past it. Right. But if it's not the case, do you guys have any thoughts on what it might be? Especially given that it doesn't really seem like the horn, even though we saw a horn back in season two, it doesn't really seem like we haven't seen that horn again, really. It's hardly been mentioned. It could be the mechanism for them to get through the wall. If that's the case, I don't know why they would need to go all the way to the coast, but I mean, just walk right up in the middle. <laughs> but I, I'm not really, and of course they don't have that horn, so I, I'm kind of lost as to other possibilities, but there's bound to be other possibilities. Do you guys have any um, any thoughts on that?
1: Um, maybe they could somehow control, you know, the, the, the staff at Eastwatch, you know, and kind mm. of make it an inside job. So somehow, you know, get whites over that side and, you know, let them in. Maybe it could be that simple. I'm not saying that's what I believe, but it could be something to do with their magic and taking over people.
0: Going back to the ice, the white giants—something you know, those big—or the you know Mag the Whitey and his brothers, yeah. Wag the Whitey, and Bag the Mighty, and all those guys. There, there's um, a, a potential for other things. The white giants reminded me a little bit of the stories, old man stories, of pale ice spiders and. You know, undead dogs. I want to see some hounds. mammoth whites. Mammoth whites. Oh man, that would be badass. Oh. <laughs> Especially <laughs> if a giant riding one of those. Oh. Mm. <laughs> yeah, why isn't why isn't Night King riding a mammoth instead of a silly old de- <laughs> undead horse? He needs to upgrade. <laughs> Show the Northerners what's up. Well, let's talk a little more about Jon and Sansa. Um, let's say you know Sansa. They have, John confronts her and says, hey, don't undermine me. And Sansa kind of agrees that maybe undermining him wasn't, like, kind of like what yeah. we just said. Maybe yeah. she didn't quite handle that properly. Yeah. She wanted to say those things, but maybe saying she, them a little differently yeah, at a different times. Yeah, and she'd
3: time. seen that that was her opportunity to do it, and yeah.
0: And I love her comeback to him, though. He's like, well, should I listen to you? And she's like, would that be so terrible? <laughs> and, of course, they're interrupted by the Maester showing up. Yeah. But... It's really it's poignant. Sansa's right in a lot of ways. She is worth listening to. She does have a lot of experience. What do you think, Lady? Glenn? Yeah,
2: I think um, I think you could see it even in John's face before they were right before they were interrupted. Uh, that he he did hear her loud and clear, and I don't doubt that he will listen to her because he's proved himself to be that kind of leader that is capable of growth and learning from mistakes and listening to other people. He's really not ego driven um, for the most part. Uh, he's mostly very pragmatic as far as, yeah. you know, getting things done. So I think you'll listen to her. Yeah,
0: I, I agree. I think so, too, at least on a lot of things. Maybe there'll be still maybe there'll be future disagreements. And that's interesting, too. She learned from Cersei. And that's an interesting combination that the two schools of thought that they come from Cersei. He, she learned from Cersei, which is the more ruthless side of things. But Cersei is also cunning and intelligent in a lot of ways. She's made a lot of mistakes. She's done a lot of stupid things. But she's also done a lot of smart things, a lot of clever things. And Sansa can learn from that. She doesn't. She can learn. For example, she can do uh, observe things the way Cersei does without taking the same kind of actions. It's, you know, it's the, yeah. the way to the, the what you do with the information you gather is is isn't necessarily the same. But what's what matters is how you're able to approach the situation in the first place, to to, to understand all the angles, to see all the different things that different politicians and, and power players are looking at. And that's the kind of thing that Sansa's learned really well. John has not learned that much as well, hasn't learned that as well, but he has learned a lot of other things like the value of continuity and how things are ruled. Like Cersei often, big mistakes she would make all the time was just not, it was just completely ignoring the commoner's view on everything. Just kind of looking at things at a very high level. John does not make that mistake because he's lived among the wildlings and things like that. So he has that perspective. Anyway, um, I think that's cool. That combination. You guys, of course, the funny thing about Sansa also is talking about how she learned from Cersei. She has Cersei's hairstyle now.
3: Yeah, her wig.
0: Yeah, and her wig. Because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course,
3: Sophie Turner is in a wig this season. If you couldn't tell, distracting to me. A lot much. of people
0: <laughs> pointed that out. Yeah. Once you once it's pointed out, it's hard to miss. Yeah. I, I kind of didn't notice it at first, and then I remembered it, and was like, oh yeah. And then it's like, oh yeah, no wonder she looks like Cersei. <laughs> but they apparently
2: took it right from Cersei because she now does not have. She's, she's got the short hair now, so... <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's great. So, of course, the developing situation is Sansa Littlefinger. Now, this is really kind of not going the way I thought it would at first. Littlefinger is clearly trying to do his thing. First, he's like, what about your rights? And she's like, I'm happy with how these things are, you know? And he's like, well, what about your happiness? <laughs> it's like, okay, well, if you're happy with this, what about your general <laughs> happiness? And he's, she's like... You, I don't like. Basically, she just kind of brushes him off multiple times, right? She doesn't seem interested. Like, what is his in route at this point? Mm. The only thing I can think of in, that gives him the ability to drive a wedge between the Starks is that she does point out that they need him. Mm. The, the Vale Knights are still very important. Mm-hmm. So, this is very interesting. I don't. I thought maybe that Littlefinger would have more success at driving a wedge between them. But also doubt, wondered how he could. So at this point, it seems like he's not having any success. So, Yolk Boy, what do you what do you think about all this? Yeah, d- despite him, you know, kind of being thrown back to some
1: extent the, by Sansa, which, like you say, was quite surprising. I fully expect Littlefinger to function as attention device this season, the whole season, I think, as the North is really needing to, you know, unite and be one unit, as we've seen with, you know, the meeting in the hall. Uh, but you do need, from a writing perspective, some tension, and that's going to come from a character who can be disruptive in the midst of all this kind of need for solidarity. Um, I expect this to be Littlefinger's place, trying to sow discord between the leading Starks, as you know we've already seen he wants to do that. For the tension to work, I think we'll have to see Sansa appear to be, you know, tempted at some stage by his, uh, you know, political machinations, and I think may seem at times like she she's thinking of crossing John. I do expect to see that in Sansa a bit more than we did in this episode. And um, when he's away dealing with the Night's King, that's an ideal opportunity for, you know, Sansa to to be set up scheming with Littlefinger. But ultimately, I really think that Baelish is going to be on thin ice this season. And as a book reader, I've always felt... She Sansa has to be the one to dispose of him for her kind of arc to make perfect sense in my in my opinion. So if Littlefinger is gonna be a goner in the season finale this season, I wouldn't be completely surprised. Certainly before the entire series ends, but um I expect to see Sansa as the
0: kind of agent of his destruction, I think. I was just going to ask if you think he's going to survive the season or not. I think he's not. Um, our unsullied reader, unsullied co-host Sean thinks he will.
1: No, no, I, I think it would be great. It'd be great finale, wouldn't it? I, it I, I speak of him as this kind of tension device. At some stage, that's disposable to the story. You know, as we move on to humans versus others being center stage in season eight, I don't think we need the kind of B- bailishes anymore, so I he's on thin ice. Like you say, You know, what's he cl- he's clinging on to this idea that Sansa needs his Veil army. What if, what if a maneuver happened and you know nobody needed Littlefinger anymore? Then he's,
0: he's on thin ice. That's a good point. That's a good point. I, yeah, I, I uh, think that's a fair prediction. I do think he's not going to make it to the season. We'll have to see. Uh, we have a question from Ben Smith here. Will she marry him out of necessity for the Veil vale Knights or, or marry at all? Any, any thoughts there? I think she would be very cautious about marrying again given the experiences she'd have, but she certainly understands politics and understands the value of, of marriages. Um, I, I would hate to see her decide that she, t- out of necessity I'm has to marry a little Sorry,
3: friend. but we already talked about this. Sansa's obviously going to marry Hot Pie <laughs> and go rule in the bread fort with him. She has it as her title and everything. Won't
0: Arya be jealous that Sansa ended up with Hot Pie? It's like, <laughs> Arya's oh, got mine, Gendry dude. coming back. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Gendry's Gendry's a fine catch. <laughs> any other any other thoughts on that either you guys, Lady Gwyn or, or Yoke Boy? No, no. My final thought
1: is just, you know, to be mindful of this this theme in in the story now, in in the books and in the show, of the kind of the apprentice and the master, and how the apprentice kind of gains ground on the master, and you, you know improves and surpasses the master. I think that's a theme in the books that George is going to be dealing with in the last couple of books. And I, I think we can see it in the show with like Aya and the Waif and Bran getting superpowers surpassing the Three-Eyed Raven. So I, I think the Sansa and Littlefinger watch out for the kind
0: of the pawn surpassing the master. We have a lot of people in the chat agreeing, loving the idea of Sansa and Hot Pie, or just saying that they, in general, would marry Hot Pie themselves. <laughs> so apparently, Hot Pie is uh, apparently uh, apparently fe- female fans of Game of Thrones, the Song of Ice and Fire like uh, men who can bake bakers. Yeah. I can understand that. <laughs> you know, having a baker uh, in your house sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> Any other takes on that? All right, let us move on. Uh, Brienne training Podrick. I wonder. I think. I wonder if there's anything to be said about that. I think that maybe they're going to be part of the crew that goes north, uh, or just maybe they stick around Sansa. Like Brienne is certainly seems to be her personal Sansa guard. You know, the one her her one off guarding her. <laughs> uh, so I'm not sure that she'll leave Sansa's side. If that's the case. Uh, It's hard to see what her role will be this season, what kind of arc she can have. What do you got? Any predictions for Brienne and or Podrick?
3: I'm looking forward to her meeting up with the Hound, for one. If he does get to Winterfell and interacts with her, that'll be an interesting conversation. And also, if Arya comes back while Brienne is still there, that'll be a momentous thing for Brienne that she will have actually... All, most of the star kids are there and Bran will arrive. I don't know.
0: I think that's a really good point. I really am hoping Arya and Sandor get to see each other. Uh, I think that that would be really nice. Mm-hmm. I think I think Sandor, especially given his state of mind, after all of the things that he's been going through in the la- last few times we've seen him, he would totally forgive her. He would also, not, I don't think he would have any problem with Brienne whatsoever. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, she beat me. That's mm-hmm. that, you know. <laughs> he's got the very blunt, you know, pragmatic view of the world. He's like, yeah, he's always talking about how swords rule the world. He's like, well, yeah, she beat me. I just don't think he would have any grudge over that. Do you guys see that any differently? No, no. Maybe Tormund will back off a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Tormund versus the Hound, yikes. (laughs) Yeah, I I would be curious about that fight, but I do not want to see it. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, speaking of Tormund, we get a little more of that. That every time he makes eyes at Brienne, it spawns a billion memes.
3: Yeah, I mean it's, they're both really good at making the best faces at each other. Just,
0: <laughs> her being like,
3: you
4: "No," know,
0: uh, and an him being, by her. It, "Yeah." And-
3: <laughs> yeah, just yeah, him him uh saying that he was a lucky man, you know, Tormin <laughs> likes a very strong woman. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You're lucky. You're a lucky man. <laughs> You're kind of creepy, Torment. <laughs> he is creep- this love, this season it
1: seems more creepy, doesn't it? Like, yeah. hey, you know, get the message she does not like you.
3: <laughs> well, she's waiting for Jamie, come on. You
0: remember what their version of of Courtship is like wildling version yeah. of courtship is to he,
3: he's got to steal her. the
0: woman away.
3: You know? It's too bad he's headed to Eastwatch. I was a little bummed. As excited as I am that they're going off to, on their journeys, it meant that Tormund and Brienne were going to split up. Yeah,
0: I don't think Brienne's going to Eastwatch. No. That seems super unlikely. No, she's not staying soon. with
3: Sansa yeah. unless Sansa's like, no, I need you for something. But mm-hmm. I think Sansa, I, I think it's a comfort to her to know that she has her there. I mean, she says it herself. Mm-hmm.
0: We also agree with Chatter Ram. When the Hound comes to Winterfell, he probably has something to say about Littlefinger. I totally agree. He was in the throne room, and it may not have been exactly clear what he was seeing in front of him. He sees Ned walk in with a bunch of guys, and they seem to be following him, and all of a sudden they turn on him. I think Clegane can figure out what happened there, especially because Littlefinger's the one who immediately put a knife to Ned's neck Mm -hmm. when he walked in behind him as if he was you know, as if they were together. So I believe the Hound could figure that out or at least provide enough context that everybody else could figure it out yeah. given his his input.
4: Yeah.
0: So that is another possibility for Littlefinger's undoing among several. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. He's really he's really hanging on by a thread here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Aria time. With her uh, Lady Gwen, take us away on this. What did you think?
2: Well, I think, you know, so this was the cold open everyone's talking about. Um, We were prepped for this during the previously on segment. There was a really cool visual juxtaposition of um, Catelyn and Lord Walder getting their throats cut. So just cut from one to the next. So (laughs) Cut uh, from one to the next. Cut, right. Cuts, cuts, cuts. (laughs) Uh, But it really, you know, it drove your attention to that opening shot of Lord Walder in the feasting hall because you just saw him get his throat cut now here he is standing there and so i mean probably yeah. most of us kind of knew what was happening right away but yeah um, it's like, uh, this is a no, this is a flashback this is not okay. a flashback <laughs> <laughs> uh, man
3: the the buzz that went around our room we had a whole bunch of people here and as we all realized what was happening what's going right there we all saw how many men there were in that room and that and what she was going to do like i went through like a few seconds of how is she gonna kill all these people to oh of course she's gonna poison them all.
0: The total, once he hit the bang the cup, it was like yeah. oh the cup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: that was really something. Yeah. So it seems to be widely believed in the f- deeper fandom that this is not exactly how it will go down, but the basic thing will happen, except that it won't have anything to do with Arya whatsoever. Mm. It's more more gonna be a Lady Stoneheart, Blackfish, brother without banners. Type of deal
3: and slowly chipping them away, you know, rather than this mass execution. And maybe they they will have some large executions, but I don't think in this context, like she had just complete power over the situation.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree. There may be one of the predictions is that this there will be a red wedding 2.0. There'll be you know one of these other one of the other Frey marriages. I'm spacing on which marriage is already set to happen, but oh yeah, the the Lannister Frey marriage. It hasn't happened yet. That's the one. Yeah. And that could be when they break their real big surprise. So, um. And, of course, like I said, I think Blackfish will be involved with that. He's still alive in the books, obviously. He still has a, a role to play. Maybe not a huge role, but I think a role. And I think it will at least be significant in the short term, if not in the long term. But we'll talk about that more in our upcoming Blackfish episode. Now, one thing that's interesting is uh, to me is the, the notion of uh, we see just how powerful Arya is. It wasn't, wasn't clear exactly how much she could change her face and shape and voice and all that. So mm-hmm. Walder is pretty different than her. <laughs> so any thoughts on what that means for her abilities?
2: Well, I think it's it's pretty impressive. You know, it underlines yeah. that this face changing is not any it's not just a simple disguise. You're not just changing your face. This is a really complex glamour that she's that she's learned. Walder's visibly taller. He's got a whole different voice. It's it's more akin to Jack and turning into Pate. You know, we, I was reminded of that. You know, Jack and turned into a little kid. Um so you really you get that sense that she's she's learned some pretty serious stuff here. She's pulling Yeah, back. she's powerful. She is, she po- is powerful. <laughs> yeah.
3: I always uh, think about the voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Changing. The voice
2: now, is
0: interesting. Yes. Also. Uh, that's quite a, that, like, I wish Roy Dotrice could change his voice yeah, like that. Right.
3: <laughs> also, I just want to point out, David Bradley, I was definitely, like, closely examining him to see how much he studied Maisie Williams' Arya, because he's, you know, yes. he's Arya being Walder, and so I was hoping there would be some shade of that, and I could see it, yeah. in that, and he had that, that little grin that she has sometimes, mm-hmm. where her eyes get a little wider.
0: Yes. Nice acting. I did not think about that at yeah, all. Yeah, the I think, acting
2: gosh. was impressive, I thought so, too.
0: I was wondering if that scene may have been filmed like just David Bradley's part. Was it maybe filmed last season? It probably wasn't, but I could see how it might have been because if, just, if they thought ahead, they would love to just take care of that and then they can not worry about having David Bradley back again. But that that's just a idle curiosity.
3: Yeah, I think it would have made sense to do it like that. But one, David Bradley isn't like an actor where their people are like, oh, David Bradley's back on the set. What's these spoilers? Whereas like, if you had... Charles Dance, Tywin back on set. Yeah. People would ki- care about that, so it would make sense to film it ahead of time. So I the time, get...
0: There was there was a million like Benjen's back rumors because uh-huh. of Joseph M. Uh, I forget his full last name, but uh, he when he would ever come visit set, like, oh, Benjamin? Uh-huh. we're finally going to see Benjamin come back. It finally did happen. Uh-huh. There were a lot of false uh He was just visiting. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lady Gwen, you had a thought on the wine there, Arbor Gold. Didn't look very gold to me, but very whatever. Red. More of a red. red. Arbor yes. red, yeah. He's,
2: he <laughs> mentioned that that phrase though, which is interesting because we see that a couple times in the book, uh, in the books related to uh, serious deceptions. Once, of course, is um I'm uh, when he's serving the fray pies, he says, Wash it down with Arbor Gold and savor every bite. I know I shall. So, um, since last season we saw Arya dishing up fray pies, I think she's pretty much washed them down with some Arbor Gold here. It was a pretty cool connection. And then, the sort of the first um, time you saw Arbor Gold associated with this kind of deception thing was Littlefinger. To Sansa mm-hmm. in *A Feast for Crows*, when he says, "You see the wonders that can be worked with lies and Arbor Gold." And, and,
0: I seem to remember a thread on Westeros.org oh, yeah. a long time back <laughs> yeah. where they went and looked for every time Arbor Gold was served, and <laughs> there was a really high, almost 100% incidence of whenever arbor gold was the wine being served some large deception was taking place yeah. it's that, really kind of striking how often that parallel held it wasn't an accident no. it, it just it happened too many times for it to be an yeah
2: accident. i think that's one of those you know we make a lot of connections you know between things that may or may not be there but i think this is one of those that it's i mean it's right there in the text lies in arbor gold and so i think it i think you're right it's it's definitely a thing so
0: yeah. Uh, I, you know, as far as the wine color goes, I think they probably just did that to make sure everybody knew it was wine. Because if it was just like yellow, white wine doesn't look like, you know, visually it's like... What, no, no one's
3: ever heard of white wine. Your but... <laughs> so you're right, Aziz. The people are idiots.
0: <laughs> okay, got me. Uh, thanks again, Mark uh, Snow and Winterfell there. He says, Arya is now one of the most powerful people in Westeros. Amazing to have her on Team Stark. Winterfell. Hell yeah. Yeah, That's she is true. super true, she really powerful. is. Mm-hmm. She's
3: crazy powerful. Like it's Yeah, I was so moved watching it. I mean, as much as I don't want to see her doing these awful, awful things, it was powerful, and I was blown away.
0: And we got a comment from Pipe's podcast who's, who brings up the concept that's raised in the books of when Arya puts a face on, she briefly has the memories and pain and suffering mm-hmm. that that person felt. Mm-hmm. I don't think the show is going in that direction at all, but if you want to try to think of it that way that could explain part of how Arya was able to adapt so well to Welder Frey. You know, like putting if she put his face on, then she would get some of his memories, some of his feelings and thoughts, and that would help her mm-hmm. play the role. Mm-hmm. So that's a cool thought. Good catch there. All right, um, Yoke Boy, you had some thoughts on the massacre in general. Yeah, I I thought the scene, it really
1: reminded me, I don't know, for those of you who have heard of this, the Jonestown Massacre, which was a, a mass poisoning. It was like a a kind of cult and the cult leader put cyanide in the Kool-Aid and, and uh, you know, about 300 people died. So it, it it made me think of that when I was watching it. And where, whereas this kind of real-world parallel was, you know, undoubtedly evil, this scene was presented as a complete and utter triumph, you, you know. It was like black or white. It, it was a complete triumph for Aya. And, you know, in my opinion, this... As a book reader, this isn't really in keeping with how George likes to deal with things, especially the like the theme of revenge that we were seeing here. So in the books, expect the tone of the you know Red Wedding 2.0, we're calling it to be very different, you know, regardless of who perpetrates the massacre. Um, like Aziz said, Lady Stoneheart is prying to be a part of this. And in A Game of Thrones, she off- offhandedly thinks that she would love to see Walder Frey roasted on a spit. So I would keep mm. that in mind, you know, in The Winds of Winter because uh, Game of Thrones is full of this kind of foreshadowing and um, that would fit the kind of guest right theme that he's going for. But overall, the, the show is very different in that it, it presented this revenge, uh, you know, as kind of glorious at this stage before Arya's next scene where we will probably be regretting the, you know the phrase side that's coming up
0: in in, in the books because not all the phrases are terrible as we know yeah we wouldn't in fact i think you're very right with that we we know of at least several phrases who were decent guys some of them who were intentionally kept away from the red wedding because the other phrase knew that they wouldn't be down for this type of activity they weren't down for this kind of betrayal this type of you know the guest right betrayal and all that so Uh, I think that's very true, and I think Arya is going to kill some people that don't deserve it. And what we're seeing in her next scene is her declining, to apparently declining, to kill people who don't deserve it. These Lannister foot soldiers, led by Ed Sheeran. Uh, Lady Gwen, talk to us about this for a minute.
2: (laughs) Well, there's been a lot of discussion everywhere about Ed Sheeran. Um, I personally wasn't bothered by it. I didn't find it that jarring. Uh, and I have to say, it's the first time I've ever invited my 11-year-old to watch Game of Thrones, because she's a big fan just that uh, two-minute scene. But um, anyways, he um, you know, he was there, and he had a couple lines, and he sang a song, and everybody has been talking about him appearing for years, so there it was. Um, he sang Simon Silvertongue's Hands of Gold, which is that song about Tyrion and Shay. and for what it's worth, we've... Featured uh, that song, sung by a band called Tylek Tyrion in our very first episode. So it's cool right to see another version of that.
3: Yeah, I liked seeing uh, that scene there. And I'm sure Maisie Williams, who's a big Ed Sheeran yes. fan, was really happy about yeah. that. She
2: looked happy yeah, apparently this was <laughs> done
0: as a favor of her. Like, David <laughs> and Dan, like, did this for her. Like, she, that was like a thing they did with her. And of course, you know, she's she's been around them since she was much younger. So they probably have a bit of a... Um, not a father daughter, maybe an uncle niece type relationship in a lot of ways.
3: But they've had a lot of different musicians on the show. It only makes sense that they yeah. would talk about it with their actors, and Maisie would be a like, lot of them. Ah, If you could have anyone on the show, put Ed Sheeran on. And they're like, Oh, okay. Sure. I
0: couldn't even name them all right now. There's been this the guys it. from Mastodon have been on there. It was, wasn't it Coldplay that was on? And, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Cigar um, Rose,
2: Cigar that, Ross. Sigur Cigaross, yeah. trying to think yeah. of their name. Yeah, the yeah. Scandinavian band. Yeah, the National. So.
0: The National? Yeah, just a lot just a bunch of, of people. plus yeah. a bunch of bands featured in the credits and things like that mm-hmm. for uh, uh, outro music and things like that. So what else what else about the Simon Silvertongue song? There's more to it, isn't there?
2: Well, there's this interesting um, thing about the Hands of Gold reference um, that we've we've wondered if there's some foreshadowing of um, Jamie the Golden Hand being the Valonqar. Uh, and you know even though the Valonqar hasn't been brought up in the show a lot of people still think that Jamie will be the one to kill Cersei so since Tyrion strangled Shay with the golden hands necklace there could be a little repeat with Jamie strangling Cersei with his golden hand um, so I've, I've seen some people wondering if the inclusion of that particular song is a hint or if it's just an interesting coincidence
3: absolutely
0: yeah. I really like the scene Ed Sheeran didn't but I barely, I didn't even care. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't like, yay, Ed Sheeran or boo, Ed Sheeran. I just was like, oh, there he is. That's that guy everyone was talking about. It didn't matter to me at all. I, I didn't understand why people were upset with it.
3: Yeah, people like just making fun of people and doing yeah. stuff like that and having fake anger. But He's a it famous, wasn't, popular
0: guy. It wasn't
3: super distracting to me because I'm not, a, I don't listen to him. I'm not a big fan of him. I think if he had been a singer that I was very familiar with, it might have been a little um, hmm. distracting from the moment. But it wasn't for me, even though I was instantly like, oh. There's But then they just didn't focus on him. It wasn't like he was having the conversation, really. He had very few lines, really, at all. And uh, the other soldiers that were talking to Arya there, I thought, did a great job. And they, it was the writing as well that I think, mm-hmm. really, they had a lot to talk about there. And I think it gave us a lot of those shades of Brienne's journey through the Riverlands mm-hmm. and all that. Seeing the small folk, which is something we talk about a lot that we like seeing. Yeah,
0: yeah it was a really Feast for Crows-ish type scene. It had the, that kind of feel. Yeah. And yeah. it's really well... There's a lot of subtlety in this scene. Quite a lot. First of all, you obviously... It's less subtle as Arya noticing where their weapons are and noticing that they're not close, that she could, you know, do quite a lot before even one of them reaches a sword, let alone draws it and, you know, is gets ready to actually fight. So, but she just struggles to deal with what's happening because she doesn't know how to handle people treating her so nicely. Like, how long has it been since someone treated her well, other than the woman that helped her with her wound? Uh And that woman ended up dead for helping her, you know? So even, it's it's, Arya's hasn't felt love or kindness for the most part, except for maybe a little bit here and there, since she's been at home. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. can kind of see the way she was just didn't know what to do with this niceness. <laughs> yeah, and it, it must be it must be very comforting for
1: her, like you said. What you know? How when is Arya ever been in comfort S- since you know the early days back at Winterfell? How long has she felt comforted? And that psychologically kind of disarmed her, didn't it? And we we're, we're seeing what the the start, I think, of what I would call a rehumanization arc now. So what an important scene, you know, for Arya. Having just managed to kill so many of the Freys, she's really at a crossroads. Does he continue being a murderer and getting revenge and feeding off, like, hatred? Or does she, like, be- you know, become Arya again, a little girl? And, and her the identity theme has just been, you know, so prevalent
0: in her arc. It's, it's great to see this window for her to change. Yeah, I completely agree. And it was interesting to see her struggle with it. She just, first of all, she didn't even want to take their food because then that's kind of like accepting guest right or maybe not even kind of, just directly. I mean, they're not, it's not a home they're in, but it still had that same feel. And they made the wording very careful. They're like guests first. And she even hesitated before taking a bite. Like if she didn't care about guest right, she wouldn't have cared about taking a bite of that food. That would be completely mean. It like, yeah, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat some of this food and then I'm going to kill you. <laughs> but that's clearly not what happened. Uh, some people wonder if maybe after the scene cut away that she killed them. I really don't think so. I, I admit it's possible, but I really don't think so. Anyone Technically else? Technically
3: possible, but I, I'm on the team. No, I don't think she did. And I think that this was, she had a giant leap forward with killing all of those frays. And I think this is a small step backwards for her, back into, as Yoke Boy said, the rehumanization. And I don't think that she's going to continue. I mean, I think she'll still have a dark arc, but like she said, she's going to King's Landing, King's Landing to kill the queen. And now at this point, I'm doubtful of whether she's going to continue going to King's Landing or whether she's going to reroute and go up north. I agree with I, 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 think I
1: think this scene is the perfect. Like I say, she's at a crossroads. Is the perfect time to change direction and start thinking about her family and home, and you know, forget
0: Cersei and go and try and find a sister and a family. I see someone mentioning that Arya may have suggesting that Arya broke guest right by murdering all this phrase. I don't think she did. She was not the one. She invited them there, but not under. That that was under false pretense, not. Uh, and she technically is not the one that invited them. They were invited by Lord Walder, yeah. and that's not his home. That's not her home either. She 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 can't have guests in a place that isn't hers. <laughs> and she was never invited there either. She was not invited, and in. they didn't give her bread and salt. She took what she took. So maybe that's the technicality, but that is how I see it. I don't think she technically violated a go- guest right. The gods may disagree,
4: mm-hmm. and
0: you all may disagree, but that's that's how I personally see it. Any mm-hmm. anyone else see it differently?
2: No, I see it. I agree. Yeah, I see it just like that. Yeah. Okay. That it's, it's, it's technically
3: not wrong. She definitely yeah. wasn't a guest. <laughs> they weren't guests, but it's weird that it works like that.
0: Okay. So we have, yeah, a, an interesting other thing that comes out of the scene. First of all, I want to just, even though we talked about this a bit already, I thought it was really neat how Arya just kept trying to get them to talk about things that would incriminate them. And it just never yeah. happened. You know, she's like, were you guys part of this? Did you guys do this? And, and it was always like, nah, we didn't. We haven't done that. We've just been keeping the peace. We haven't done anything, you know. Not so she even just
3: met my baby. I oh, want yeah. to see my dad. All these things. She's <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Every
0: time she's trying to dig up dirt, they say something like very human and nice, and like, oh, I just, can't... I wish I was back with my dad, helping him fish. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> don't kill this dude, Arya. He's really nice. Arya found the loveliest Lannister soldiers in the whole of Westeros, didn't she? <laughs> she did, yes. Like the only, the only nice guys in the whole of the story. <laughs> she found them together. <laughs> I saw another comment wondering if these men they seemed very young and I think that might be on purpose that the Lannister armies have been sorely tested they're they they've had a lot of men die and they're digging a little deeper to get recruits and so these guys are maybe not their first choice maybe that's why they're more of the nicer types cuz you normally wouldn't want yeah, they're nice just, guys yeah, soldiers yeah, I don't think they're that's
3: hardened not, you know they haven't been involved in battles and wars mm-hmm. for as many years as a lot of the other people we would have seen
0: they yeah, they haven't been out on real campaigns where they, you know, they're, they're I see a comment, to kill people. the
3: Boy Scout division of the Lannister
0: Army. <laughs> well said. Uh, Neil yeah. Anderson, good comment there. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so, but Arya, also we get oh, some subtle things from the conversation that we haven't mentioned yet. First, Shay, you noticed first mention of the Dragon Pit, right?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's Definitely. pretty cool. Which, uh, you know, you have to wonder that when they're mentioning the Dragon Pit, that we're going to see it.
0: Yep, that's usually how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Which
3: makes perfect sense that we would see that this season. I think most of us expected that.
0: Yeah, I mean, Daener- especially if Daenerys bringing dragons to, well, you know, yeah, it's got to come up. Although the Dragon Pit apparently is-, is ruined or wrecked. We don't know what's in the books. It's completely messed up. If It's a huge mound of rubble. It's been cleared out and...
3: Forget how they what they referred to it as in that scene. They were like, you know, this and this and this. And they're like, they won't let ruins. me within a mile. They're, these are ruins. And this is, you know, desolate. Or they said, it wasn't the word desolate, but they were basically talking about how. It was hardly
0: um, worth seeing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> basically, yeah. So that's, um, we'll have to see about that. Very curious where that's going.
3: One thing we get a lot of questions about um, since the episode that we have been getting questions about is Ed Muir about whether or not Arya just forgot about her about her uncle, which, no, I don't think she did. I think that maybe she didn't know that he even was there recently in the first place, but he's not there. He's at the Rock, so she would have to divert from her mission to go to the Rock to rescue him, someone who she's, you know, maybe met once, if that.
0: Yeah, and the show made this a little confusing because of the way they worded Having Walder point out that Edmure's back in the dungeon, you know, which makes it sound like his dungeon. But I think he was talking about the dungeon at Casterly Rock. Mm -hmm. At least that's the only way that this works. (laughs) Otherwise, Mm -hmm. then it's a continuity error, I think. So, But in the books, this is also important to note. Edmure is at Casterly Rock in the books. Rather, last we saw, he was about to head to Casterly Mm -hmm. Rock. And it's very important. Jamie says... To Forley Prester, he, he has Sir Forley Prester, who is a knight from the Westerlands, sends him to lead this group of 100, and then he says, wait, double that. Then he says, wait, double it again. So Jamie's clearly worried about what could happen. And this group doesn't only have Edmure, it has uh, Jane Westerly. So this is really important. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, wait, is Edmure already at casually Rock? Nope. Am I getting that back? No, they're all together. Okay, so great. That's perfect. So that's clearly set up for a possible, you know, Brotherhood Without Banners uh, raid situation there
3: oh yeah 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 Well, i mean we've we've talked about whether they're going to be um taking over cast of the rock this season and so I, I think it's very possible slash maybe i, I might lean towards likely that we are going to see edmure at cast of the rock when daenerys and her troops take cast of the rock they'll decide what to do with him
0: that makes a lot of sense i definitely like that idea any other thoughts on this Uh, From Craig Mulvey, one of the benefits of a faceless man is not having an identity. Is Arya going to cause herself trouble by committing these acts at least partially as herself? Well, I think she was already doing that back in as a faceless man. She was already never fully committing to the faceless man life. She was never truly no one. She killed Maren Trant because of Arya's life. She killed, she saved Needle because of who she was. And in the books, that identity theme is even more prominent because she continues to have wolf dreams. In fact, she has more wolf dreams than Bran. She has more wolf dreams than anyone. So, although she seems to understand what's happening less than anyone else, but that's only a matter of time. And Arya, of course, is war- you know skin changing into cats uh, and seals, maybe, and <laughs> other things. So, I think that is, uh, I think she's moving away from that, but she's all, I think she's becoming more herself, and, but there's always that darkness around her. Any other, any thoughts on that, Lady Gwen or, or Yuko, anything on that? Um, no, no, it just, you know, I was
1: just thinking that it's funny how Arya kind of o- obtained the boon from, from the faceless man, but didn't pay the cost. She yeah. really, really played them, didn't she? She came
0: away with the great boon of being able to do this magic, but she did not pay up. In the book, I kind of expect there to be more consequences. What do you guys think? You think she will just get away with it? Maybe that's what will end her at the end of the books. She just, she dies as she's, they catch up to her after she's maybe done some great things. I don't know, I can see that being the way it ends for her, being tragic. It, it, that's very
1: Martinian, isn't it? For Arya to, you know, to, to get her payback. He, he's, quite a fair, he's quite fair
0: with things, so... Yeah. But his wife told him that she would divorce him if she killed Arya. So <laughs> maybe that helps. <laughs> Question from Julianne Ramirez. I've always wanted the Valonqar to be Jamie, but is it possible that it could be Arya? I realize Valonqar is high Valyrian for little brother, but could it really mean little sibling gender neutral. It could, it seems like the show may go that direction with Arya's story. Uh, this is a definitive no. David Peterson, the language creator, has even weighed on this issue. High Valerian isn't genderless. Little brother, the term Valencar is not genderless. Dragons can be switched gender, and that's where the confusion comes from. But the terms are not genderless. This, the language is not genderless. David, in fact, made a point to draw the distinction between gendered language and gendered creatures uh the different. there's a difference there and i didn't explain it very well but there but he was very clear on it that no that's not the case so
3: it's over on david peterson's twitter account you can find it if you want to see at his
0: at dedalves a d-e-d-a-l-v-s yeah.
3: twitter tumblr you find david peterson and you'll find All your questions about High Valyrian answered.
0: He's a really smart guy and he's involved in the fandom. He didn't just fire off these languages and then vanish.
3: (laughs) You can also go learn it yourself on Duolingo now because you can learn High Valyrian on Duolingo. It's so cool. That is
0: very cool. Okay, um, another question from... Here's one from Lord Commander Denier Flint. When Arya is sitting with Ed Sheeran's group and they're all talking about their normal lives, she gets this look on her face. Do you think that's a look of regret at some of her actions or is it more of a, yeah, it's sad, but it still has to be done sort of look like she's thinking that she's going to have to kill these guys? Of course, we don't think she did kill them, so maybe she had that realization at first, like, I'm going to have to kill them, and then she just backed down. And so the, the expression became sort of irrelevant in the long term. So... Yeah, I, I don't. I think maybe at first she was a little just put off, and that kind of gave her confusion, and her her face reflected that. The second part of the question is: Do you think Arya was being honest when she said she was going to King's Landing? If so, do you think that ruins a chance of a full Stark reunion? I think she was being honest, but I think she's not going to end up going to King's Landing. Yeah, do too. What about you guys?
1: Yeah, I think that you, that that scene there really changed the course of Arya's arc. I think it was a really important scene for her. And, you, you know, I loved every second because it changes everything for her. She she will hopefully start to think of her own family, where the soldiers were saying about their family. She might start to think of Sansa and stuff now. I, I think that she, she won't kill Cersei. She'll go up north.
3: You guys- I agree. Do you guys think she, it's going to be that she sees Nymeria that turns her north? Do you think she's going to, like, intercept or see a message or learn that Jon and Sansa are up in the north? Do you think it'll be, that she, basically, do you think it'll be her deciding to go because she connects with her roots or her deciding to go because she learns information?
2: Any thoughts? Mm.
0: Oh, really? It could be. It could be both. Could be both. It it could could be, be either. Either or both. Yeah. I mean, she's bound to find out these bits of news eventually.
2: Yeah. I mean, it could be both. She could meet Sandor. I mean, they're in the same general yeah. vicinity. They could meet up yeah. again in the Riverlands before he heads mm-hmm. north. I mean, who knows? I'm a little
0: down on the possibility of her meeting up with the Brotherhood because they seem to be already way farther north than her. Like, because it's I guess more of the are. snow.
2: Yeah. I mean, but yeah, <laughs> geography seems to be very fluid. Yeah.
0: It, that... <laughs> Doesn't necessarily <laughs> say what it what, what we think it says regarding the weather. <laughs> it might not be quite like that. Okay. I think that covers any other Arya comments or questions. Okay. Checking the chat here. Looks, looks is, all clear. Just,
3: yeah. People were talking about the soldiers maybe to have more information to tell Arya. We could pick back up on that scene and they could have more information.
0: Or she could just... In retrospect, she can point out that she had learned other things from yeah, them. Yeah. yeah that really, that does work. one
3: way, but I, I could totally see her interacting with other people or getting a, finding a message or raven intercepting something.
0: Okay. We're at roughly the halfway point here. Time for a couple of quick shout outs. want to give thanks to our Patreon sword captains. That's beginning with Peter Blaze of the Emerald Isle, captain of the Werewood Wanderers, to long lives, quick deaths, cold beer, and warm women. Dagron, Marshal of the Axe, is captain of the Red Tide. Resistance is futile. Garion Pike is wielder of Grave Embrace, of Valyrian Steel Axe. He is captain of the Iron Wave. Iron's kiss is eternal. Chiron Calsbane is captain of the Stone Shields. The Torrent breaks upon the stone. Captain Kithik Deadeye of the Scarlet Longbows. Their motto is Pierced by Darkness. Kerbouchard is captain of the Walking Drum. Their motto is Yol Bolsan. May there be a road. Hema Helminth is captain of the Whispering Children. Their motto, dead men tell no secrets. Lady Lajara Dajo is the Iron Lily, Master Archer, Castellan of the Summer Island Keep, Arboreal Point, captain of the all-female Wailing Widows. Their motto, women and children first. And last but certainly not least, Cody the Crimson Bastard of Bracken, captain of the Red Waste Exiles and recruiter of the Free Folk. Very cool. Okay. Um, no other mid-episode announcements, so let's just get right back to it. Let's talk about the Brotherhood. So, were you guys surprised to see that opening, you know, previously on scene where they showed that house where he robbed, mm-hmm. with, you know, and Arya kind of admonished him for that and didn't, definitely didn't expect to see that place again?
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wasn't thinking about it when we saw the previously on. I wasn't thinking about it in the context of the relevance it had and the significance it had to Sandor and his interactions that he might go back to that place. I was thinking about the relevance it had into how that caused a rift between him and Arya. So, I was thinking about his relationships mm. with people. So it definitely surprised me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The thing about this scene also is that the return of Barak really is a kind of a kick to the beehive with regards to figuring out Stoneheart and her arc as it pertains to it was what's happening in the show. Now, I think Yoke Boy, you have some thoughts on this. Yeah, there's this quite. You're talking about
1: Barrick coming back, like you know. Yeah. You're, you're asking why, why, why Barrick's come back? But the Hound went to the same thing, didn't he? Why is the Lord of Light bringing Beric back and not the little girl or, <laughs> or the or the innocent man in in the building? And um, all I can think, you know, why is, are the gods? giving this kind of gift of repeated life to Beric, is that he must have a serious role to play in the endgame of this story, in the show at least. And, you you know, all I can think is that he saves John somehow. You know, he he fights off a white. he gives him his horse, he he does something heroic, self-sacrificing, that saves John. That's all I can think of why, you know, Beric would have any
0: bearing on the endgame of this story. Maybe teach John how to light his sword on fire. Uh-huh. They're both dead, right? They were raised by Relora, right? Do you guys
3: think John's going to come back to life again? Do you think he's going to have the breath of life put into him? No, forever? no,
1: no that's
0: think? not what no. I was getting at.
1: Okay. I I mean,
3: yeah, I, I was just clarifying because it's okay. also a common idea that Stoneheart Will eventually mm. spread, like her life will continue in someone else. And so if they cut out that middle woman, then Barrick's life could continue in someone else. But I mm. was thinking it wouldn't be John. So I'd wondered about whose life he would want to continue.
0: Of course, this conversation is extra relevance given George's recent clarifications on the concept of fire white, directly referring to Barrick mm. as a fire white. Something that a lot of us in the Deeper Fan have been saying for a while, for lack of a better term. Like, what else do you call You Call him un or. It's just calling him a fire white made a lot of sense.
3: One thing I wonder about is obviously the White Walkers can control the ice whites. I wonder what they can do with fire whites because they haven't had any near them that they had the opportunity to even try. And I wonder if anyone can control like if, if it's like... Do fire whites? Is it possible for them to be controlled by someone like an ice white is? Like that's just how we see them—is that they're being controlled?
0: Yeah. Or could someone steal Gregor? Like can the yeah. wa- walkers somehow control Gregor from Yeah, there? Like, that seems unlikely, thing. but whoa, you know. Yeah. You'd have to say if someone it, if if somebody could control
1: you know fire whites. What what's the equivalent to the others? The Targaryens, you know. If you're talking about icy <laughs> and then fiery people, Yeah. that's all I can think of. <laughs> But, you know, I I, I would like to see, like, John raising the dead with... By fire, or
0: something. <laughs> You could do the same wanna... same thing as the Night King. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, for Fire Whites, they push down. It's <laughs> <laughs> their reverse gesture.
3: I want to highlight a comment in the live chat from Janine Curtis. She says, "Fire White equals white privilege."
0: White privilege, uh, yeah, you know.
3: maybe so. They there definitely seem to seem a lot more privileged than the Ice Whites that we see that are just completely brainless, thoughtless, <laughs> no <know> anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, Fire Whites still get to talk and act independently. That's way more privileged. (laughs) Okay, so let's see. I I love the Hound's line, my dumb luck ended with a bunch of fire worshippers. It's really funny.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, cracked me up for sure. It was too perfect. (laughs) I think we've talked about the idea of that before, that it's funny that he's with Thoros, but for them to just straight up have Sandor say it was great. Mm -hmm.
0: It's funnier when they say it. They're better actors than we are. (laughs) (laughs) So, and this concept of divine justice. Sandor is so funny that way. He's always had a very brutal, realistic view of the world. And now it's all just thrown everything he believes about the world as as real. And he had one of the most realistic views of the world of any character. Um, That was one of the things that defined him. But now... He's questioning everything because there's just all these things that no longer make sense. No longer can he just dismiss this as, oh, the world is terrible. It's funny. It's funny because George R.R. Martin says he's an atheist and he
1: says, I would believe in a God if I could see the power. Like, you know, I could <laughs> look into the flames. And he's like really, <laughs> yeah, he's put Sandor in his you know, in that imaginary position of being able to like read the flames and connect with a god having, you know, Sandor was what you'd probably call a Westerosi atheist or even a nihilist. And here he is with this power. So he's got this kind of cognitive dissonance all of a sudden.
0: Yeah. um, And he also has to deal with the, uh, the idea that you know, he's going to run into some other people that he has had the encounter before. I guess we already discussed the possibility of him meeting Brienne and Arya. And but Sansa. also Sansa. That's another one that's a big one. We didn't mention that one. So, uh, the arc seems to be taking him north, his story. But there's still a lot of hope for Clegane Bull mm. And the fire quote, uh, the fire vision, you know, dead are marching past a mountain shaped like an arrowhead. People are obviously wondering if that has anything to do with... Clegane bowl or is that some sort of sideways reference to him fighting the mountain you know past a mountain shaped like an arrowhead I'm I, not against Clegane Bowl at all and I hope to see it but I don't know that this has anything to do with it the mountain shaped like an arrowhead comment is odd in terms of trying to relate that to Gregor because here we go is pulling up the his Gregor's new armor that does not look like an arrowhead at all <laughs> not remotely one other theory I saw was that they're talking about a mountain shaped like an arrowhead is a reference to the mountain of dragon glass that's at Dragonstone, mm. perhaps, possibly suggesting that there's a similar mountain near Eastwatch, like a, a mountain with obsidian.
3: Yeah, heads. I think that's what, yeah. what I like to picture is that because that's what they should be using obsidian for mm. arrowheads and get a whole bunch of archers and just let them loose. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that idea a lot, but I, I guess it's possible that up north there's a. Arrowhead-shaped mountain.
0: That would be... Yeah, we'll see. If we see an Arrowhead-shaped mountain, we'll know. Okay, well, that's that then. <laughs> okay, remember, folks, keep the chat comments coming. Again, you can use Super Chat to get a comment uh, a ch- comment question to stay up on screen so it makes sure we see it. How about when Thoros wakes up and hears that sound outside, mm. and we realize what's happening, and he's digging a grave. Yeah, The like, grave
3: digger digging a grave.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was great. What do you think, Lady oh, I think that was really poignant. It was... um I don't know if it made me, you know, tear up or smile, but it was really <laughs> pretty emotional. Um, so there he was, whether it was intentional or not. You know, we talked about, uh, Milk Boy and I talked about whether or not that was an intentional nod to the Grave Digger. But Sander is the Grave Digger that's just such a symbol of his growth and his transformation. I really, really loved that scene.
0: Yeah, so did I. <laughs> yeah. Question from Black Matos Stormrider. What do you think is the origin of Sandor's flame-reading abilities? Is it due to his death, or is he being guided by Thoros? I'd say guided by Thoros kind of like how Melisandre guided Stannis. I don't think Stannis had any sort of... I mean, Stannis didn't die and come back, so I don't know. Um, Mm. I think it's the same thing. Um, What do you guys think?
2: Well, I think, you know, we can't forget that Sandor is marked by flame, by fire. Um, Yeah. And I'm sure that's going to be significant. Yeah, he's... Saw a question
0: in the. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. I saw a question here. Someone talking about what happens if Sandor ever meets a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, a big fire lizard. He's like, like a great. Gonna, <laughs> like, what the hell? Now Everything this. is fire these days. Fire. Come on. <laughs> That's why he's going to be happy to be in the north. He's be like, you know what? This is this is not so bad. <laughs> He'll end up on the side of the others, won't he? He'll be like, "This,
1: this ice is okay. This is We're ice, ice is zombies." Rice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> He's like, "You bastards better not raise me as a fire white. I do not want to be a fire white." <laughs> 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 okay. Unless there's more questions regarding the Brotherhood scenes and Sandor and Thoris and Beric, I just want to mention. I think that I said this in in our show only review that. Richard Dormer was amazing. His voice had this strange quality to it that I can't put my finger on. That was just really good. So shout out to him. Hmm. All right, let's move on to King's Landing. We've got uh, a, a cool shot here—the painted floor. Now
3: we'd seen this in the trailers, but now we get to see lots of close-ups on it like, of different locations like Dragonstone and High Garden, which I have Dragonstone on the screen right now. And the
0: Tower of Joy is on there. How about that? And a typo. It says Rook's Nest,
3: <laughs> not Rook's Rest. Whoops!
0: <laughs> Cersei will probably have that painter executed. Yeah.
3: She needs a different one. That's hilarious.
0: So it, it, someone had a really poignant comment. I think it was in yesterday's chat. I don't. Maybe it was a comment. I forget. But apologize to whoever it was that you're not getting a shout out here because this was a great comment. And the idea that there's. Lannister is walking on Westeros. Their map is on the floor where Daenerys is putting her hands on it. And this is like a a symbol that, you know, they're taking Westeros to do what they want with it. It's just their, you know, this is ours to do with as we please. Where Daenerys wants to hold it in her hands and treat it well. Mm -hmm. Which I think that's really neat. I think that's a really good, it is true. Daenerys is, it would be wrong to say Daenerys is unselfish, right? Mm -hmm. But, it's also wrong to say she's anywhere near as selfish as Cersei. Danny has like some entitlement issues and a few other things, but in her heart, she wants to rule well and justly and honorably. Whereas Cersei just wants to, only cares about those kind of things as far as they help keep people in line. So, what does it mean then that Stannis
1: banged Melisandre on the map?
2: It means it.
0: Danny rubbed her <laughs> hand on their yeah,
2: oh.
0: where they were. She's got cooties. Now. Is, she does. <laughs> How did they bang on that map with all those pieces there? Like, wouldn't you get like a, a like knight old. or a, a pawn? Like comfortable.
2: Yeah, mountains. <laughs>
0: yeah, she's gonna have to have that remade probably. <laughs> <laughs> But we're talking about King's Landing. So let's do that. Let's talk about the painted floor. Yookboy, you had some thoughts about the scene and what it maybe symbolizes beyond what's being discussed.
1: Yeah, I, I think you've you've said, you know, said the kind of meaty part of it. You know, th- these two scenes are really parallel in the same episode with the painted table at Dragonstone, and parallels there to show you that the gloves are off. And for Cersei and Danny, and that both of them are going to go to war now you know before they can rule and you know war is coming it's it's no longer six seasons in the future it is coming to
0: to Westeros this season um, yeah. Super chat from Pnome123 pointing out that Jamie is standing on the fingers and Cersei is standing on the neck. So mm-hmm. more Valonqar hype there.
1: Uh-huh.
0: They, they didn't even manage to get Valonqar in this show, so I don't know why everyone's theorizing about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's funny that this is maybe a coincidence, but it's, so, it's two people standing in very specific places. It's kind of hard to not at least consider. Jaime's so, just I standing know. there
3: because he misses his other fingers. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's standing on a thing he doesn't have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, did you, Lady Gwyn, do you have any thoughts on the the symbolism here or any of the other stuff that's going on in the scene or comparing it to Daenerys maybe? Yeah,
2: I mean, I, I think we've talked about the parallels the, the Cersei and Daenerys parallels between the two scenes, but really I mean, talk about the objects the connection between the floor the painted floor and the painted table um, mm. you know, Cersei's trying to in her words, launch a dynasty that will last a thousand years um, so she's going to be very conscious of the symbolism of of the map that she's having made and it, it, As as it relates to the significance of the painted table to the legend of Aegon's conquest She's really trying to recreate something um, from Westeros history So
0: yeah, that makes sense to me, too um, It's all you know, it's something kind of interesting here that maybe it's kind of gone under the radar Daenerys, it's kind of ambiguous whether or not she is capable of having children, right? Mm. And Jon Snow, it's fair to say the same thing because you know if he's been resurrected, you know John uh, George clarified that Beric doesn't have blood flow, that cold doesn't have blood flow, so that may mean he's not capable of his equipment functioning in order to uh, procreate. So if John can't procreate, if Danny can't procreate, and the Lannisters don't have, you know, their kids are all dead, then we have all the power players have no descendants, <laughs> which is just kind of wacky. Mm-hmm. Um, we're back. We're back to looking for Gendry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah Gendry, that's proof that Gendry is going to sit the Iron Throne. Right? <laughs> it's
3: true. When I was watching that scene with Jamie and Cersei. They're talking about their their dynasty and like laughing at their in their face the idea that they're going to launch one when they can't. But I was also thinking like. Jamie, you need to find a woman and have kids. <laughs> I feel so awful. Yeah, he can have kids
0: still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jamie
3: can still do it. <laughs> Tyrion can still do it. Like that, that doesn't help Cersei and her ideas. But there are two Lannister men out there and they <laughs> needed, I, I'm worried about all the families. Tyrell's included in the show with what happened there. I don't know. I, I guess they just have cousins.
0: So beyond their yeah, beyond their grand plans to launch a dynasty that will last for well, only the rest of their lives apparently is what they settled on. <laughs> <laughs> does, does Cersei know what a dynasty is? Yeah, I oh, Cersei, yes, so not. You know what it, that means? That others will of you. That means your children will carry on after oh, you. You do realize so, that
4: yeah.
0: is this part of? Was that meant to be part of her denial? I mean, she's like. Jamie talks about how they haven't talked about it. So it might be like a. Cersei is just in full denial. She's focused on her rage, her ambition, and not dealing with the fact that all her kids are dead, and that's just a horrible thing. And we've hmm. got
3: a new super chat. Oh,
0: a new super chat from Stephanie Vale. Thank you, Stephanie. What did you think of Cersei saying, Tommen betrayed her? Ooh, yeah, that was harsh. Mm -hmm. Like, wow. Like, that is, but it also just reinforced the notion that she is. Lying to herself about how she really feels about. Oh, him. yeah, and she's just yeah. Kinda...
2: she's deflecting the blame that goes along with his with his death that, you know, that should probably come to roost on her. Um, and she's in total denial of any of her grief. And she just by dismissing him and sort of dishonoring him, um, doesn't it, show, it shows the length that she's going to go to to justify anything she does or.
0: And, and also, you know, if she's really holding on to all this trauma and just kind of fighting it back and not dealing with it, given all her normal tendencies towards paranoia and, and, and how ambitious she is and, and all that, it seems like she might be aiding her own madness and not that she's going to go fully mad, but this whole mad queen idea applies to her fairly well. And if she's also just got all this internal trauma she's not dealing with. And denying that's gonna just make her more anxious, more stressed, more paranoid. So it'll fuel whatever else happens, you know, whatever goes wrong with her personality. But she tries to act like she's getting a lot of this from Tywin. Yoke boy, you have some thoughts on on how she's not quite right. That's <laughs> not quite accurate, <laughs> but sort of is.
1: it's funny that earlier we heard how Sansa was so influenced by Cersei, right? And then here Cersei says herself that. She got it all from Tywin back to him, showing what a huge influence Tywin Lannister was over, you know, the whole of modern Westeros, really. His sharp lessons, as it's called in the books, is now affecting the Game of Thrones for a new generation with, you know, it kind of leaking down to Sansa being influenced. I mean, how did that happen? She's taken on a bit of Tywin inadvertently, right? Yes,
0: yes, very much. And what about. This new, another nice touch, I think, is this new Kingsguard armor. It's really Mm -hmm. cool looking, but but the color scheme is kind of telling.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's no longer the white and pure Kingsguard. They're the black and badass Kingsguard. No, I don't think they're as badass. But I do think that... Clearly, black is the new black in Westeros. <laughs> black in chains. That is like the fashion trend.
0: They, it really reminded me, uh, those the, the new Kingsguard armor reminded me of like if if the first order from Star Wars was medieval. Like that color scheme of, of it looks like kind of like vaguely like Kylo Ren. <laughs> Just the the shiny chrome and the black with the big shoulder pads and everything. Well, mm-hmm. He didn't have big shoulder pads, but still. Uh, the black on chrome
3: kind of coloring mm-hmm.
0: is, reminds me of that.
3: Yeah, the knights of Cersei, it, uh,
1: and and the helmets look awfully like arrowheads, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: not, <laughs> not. <laughs> there it
3: is again. So, people asking to see the. Yeah, arrowheads. there it is again. i will put
0: it up a second time. We've got the sir gregor and his yeah look at that his badass
3: The pimped out darth <laughs> vader ever don calls him <laughs> it's
0: vaguely yeah it is, you, you yes, he you guys see did. what i see what yeah. i'm saying it is kind of vaguely star warsy isn't it <laughs> i'm getting some agreement out there <laughs> so let's let's move on to well unless someone else has a question about cersei and jamie and their plans we can move on to the next phase of their scenes which is with euron Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Euron. This is a
3: very divisive scene, I'd say, right off the bat. There's a lot of people who are, like, all on board 100% with this new Euron, this improved Euron. And other people who are still very disappointed that he's not the – I mean, Euron in the books is even more extra than Euron here. And he was pretty ridiculous in this scene. But still, I think he pales in comparison to the, like, caricature of a character that we see in the books where he's just so extreme.
0: Yeah, he's not. There's no arcane associations, no over-the-top look. Although he, a lot of people point out that he looked goth in this, and maybe he belongs yeah. in a band. But,
3: yeah, I'm punk goth.
0: But uh, I thought he, I thought he looked like one of the village people.
1: Actually,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a good one. Oh, hey, look at this. We have a, a sixty-dollar super chat from Jason Blazes. No question, just love you guys. Well, thank you very much, Jason. All four of us appreciate that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Thank you.
3: So. You're on. What do you? Where do you guys stand? I'll ask all of you. Are you? Are you happy with this? Uh, different. You're on from. I, I do think he's pretty different from last season. I also think we're seeing him in a very different situation. Yeah. He had to cater. He, you know, he has to cater to his audience. And bat. And last. In the previous season, he was catering to the Ironborn, and so he was a little less flashy than he was uh, here. So you guys. I'll go around. Is he? Are you for it? Are you still disappointed in Euron?
0: I really like that scene. I'm. I think this is definitely a, a better Euron than we saw last year. But I agree with you. It's not just this is. They didn't just change him. This is. He was. He knows his audience. Euron in the books too is a great speaker. He's very charismatic. You saw how he handled the king's moot. He dominated because he just did it so well. He's great at talking, and he's great at swaying a crowd, and he knows his audience. So he when he was speaking at the king's moot. All rough and tumble and grabbing himself and just being all al- silly alpha male. That was intentional because that's the show's version of the Ironborn. He was speaking to them. Now that he's at court, he's speaking to Cersei and Jamie. Totally different game and he's gonna have a different attitude.
3: Lady Gwyn, Yoke Boy, either of you guys feel like weighing in on what you think of of on this season so far?
2: I so far I I think he's an improvement from last year. Uh last season. So we shall see, I think.
3: Yeah. I'm on team, I like Euron now. I uh <laughs> I'm not a huge Euron fan mm-hmm. but seeing him be charismatic and uh just totally game Cersei there where he says, you know, you don't even care about the Iron Islands. We've you know, it's just a pile of rocks and ugly people and all these things that are exactly what he needs to say. I was really intrigued by him. Mm-hmm. So I, I I'm I think I guess most of us are are into this new Euron. I, although I will say I've seen a lot of negative comments where like he's still not Euron in the books. Mm. Yeah. He's, he's
0: never
1: that.
3: going to be so. He's never <laughs> going to be. Although he is a hell of a lot closer now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, they they tend to steer away from these kind of zany characters like Dario. They they toned down Dario so much, didn't they? Because yeah. you know they just they can't deal with these kind of ultra colourful characters. And it's it's really the same with same with Euron, yeah. isn't it? They they really can't they really can't capture what's in the books. So yeah, I don't true. think they do, they want to try. They
3: made him. They definitely at least made him a little more edgy though than um, mm-hmm. Dario is in the show was in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, last we saw him because I mean he's even got makeup on. Euron does now, mm-hmm. so that's something I suppose.
0: He, he reminded me a lot of Tyrion in the scene, the way he was talking, not the way he looked, mm-hmm. obviously, but <laughs> just the way that he owned everything they threw at him, like every mm-hmm. insult they threw. At him, they're like, yeah. I killed my brother. Just try it. It feels great. <laughs> he, he just deflected. It was like Aikido. I think I used the same term in yesterday's episode. Just verbal Aikido. I they
3: had a very similar body language, too. Very loose. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Also, a little part.
0: body language similar to the Night King, right? With his... uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I thought it was kind of a little, a little subtle undertone there. Both Nikolai Costar which is Jamie, and Pilo Azbek, who is Euron, are both Danish. Mm-hmm. So, a couple, a little a lot of Danish power in that scene. Good job, Danes. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's Danish, not Arthur Danish, you know. Get that straight. Now, even though we didn't get Euron's full look on the show, his ship, maybe we'll we'll pull up a ship in a minute here. Uh, We've got a couple of cool images here. And it looked like I I interrupted a Shay pulling up a different image. But yeah, look at silence. It looks awesome. That is really cool. So we didn't get full book Euron, but we did get pretty close to book Euron's ship.
3: This is another case where you were talking about how they don't seem to go with making things as colorful. And uh, this is actually the case for this ship. It is not as colorful. It doesn't it's supposed, have the red hull. Yeah, it's yeah. supposed to have the blood red hull, which I was really looking forward to. I wanted to see it all, you know, pimped out. But I was surprised that we got to see any unique looking ship for Euron, period. Yeah. So that it's, was it's a, a surprise.
0: Very different design from the book, but still really, really cool looking. So I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, they. I like the way the chat begins. There, he Euron J- N- 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 brings up, or I don't know if Euron or Jamie brings up the Greyjoy Rebellion. But he talks about how, yeah, th- Jamie brings it up. That's right, Jamie brings it up, and Euron says, "Yeah, I was there. I saw you. I liked how you were fighting. I-, I enjoyed watching how glorious you were." And he's like, "Yeah, you were kill. I was killing your kin." He's like, "Yeah, there was there were a lot- too many of them. He just had a great answer for everything," and. There was that comment about being the that rebellion in his led to his exile, which led to him becoming the best captain of the 14 seas. That reminded me of the 14 flames because it's a very specific number. You guys did a count, Shay. You did a count, maybe?
3: Yeah, I did a pretty loose count because I didn't really think that it was super relevant or that yeah, it was. It's but deal. but generally, we do know of about 15 seas, but multiple of those seas are basically not seas anymore. You know. Mm-hmm. They change, so maybe at one point, like, the Shrinking Sea was a sea, but it's now just some lakes or something like that. So there are roughly somewhere close to that, and I'm sure there's some we don't know, so maybe it is something they put some thought into. But I like the idea of them being, like, the 14 Flames of Valyria, that he's saying that there are 14 Seas of Valyria.
0: Yeah, that's kind of cool. It's kind of an obscure maybe nod to some of his book arc stuff. Mm-hmm. And also, bears mentioned that the show's version of Essos is different than the book's version. There's maps out there in the fandom to be purchased for both, and they're both different. The the, the Game of Thrones version of Essos ends; you could see the end of the continent. Whereas in the canon, A Song of Ice and Fire version of Essos, there's we don't know where the end of Essos is. It just keeps going off the map to the east. So, <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about his proposal. He, of course, comes there, and you, you, it's pretty hard to miss the, the parallel of him saying he wants to marry the most beautiful woman in the world, because that's obviously what he tells Victorian to go do for him. Go get me the most beautiful woman in the world, Daenerys, and bring mm-hmm. her back. So, I wonder, I, because Euron and Danny are being apparently being poised to be pure enemies in the show, whereas in the books, maybe there's some room for them to team up a little inadvertently, or maybe he grabs her or steals the dragon... It makes me wonder if there's something going to happen between Euron and Danny that's a little more along the lines of what we expect in the book here in the show. I kind of doubt it, but did anyone else have any thoughts in that regard? Mm. The the whole notion of beautiful woman, the most beautiful woman in the world like that, I mean, it's hard to miss that parallel, but it's hard, also hard to, for me to see what, what that means. I
3: think Euron definitely is still wanting to marry Daenerys here and is saying that knowing that he's just... He's just trolling her, basically, is what I think he's doing there, like, very clearly. Do you think
0: maybe this whole thing is just to troll Cersei to mm. win over Daenerys? Like he's, I think, infiltrate... he's gonna, I think
3: he's trolling her, and I think he's going to do what's best for him. And that the way things work out, based on timing, might be that he still sticks with Cersei for a while, but he'll betray her. But it could be that, yeah, he's hoping that it'll time out just right, that he can
0: mm.
3: side with her on the other side. Maybe but... he
0: could pull a second sons kind of thing, where he's uh-huh. like, you know, goes to the other side, and then undermines the other side and acts like he was on danny's team all the way which mm-hmm. is what brown ben Plum is trying to pull off
4: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. um i don't think i don't think in the show he's going for danny i think that
1: you know he's got a pretty sweet deal if he could pull it off with cersei you know she's the queen yeah. of course those two are using each other but Th- that's the subtext of their conversation they both they both like almost openly admit it they both like using each other i don't think he's going to go across i think he he w- wouldn't mind being cersei's husband for sure and being <laughs> king and fight fighting off danny
0: doug 34 points out that this is a little helen of troy-esque yeah mm. most beautiful woman in the world a thousand ships mm-hmm. yep yep <laughs> i see that i see that that's good that's good it's a good catch Okay, so let's talk about how they've transitioned Euron from book to show. This is a really interesting. There's a lot to say here. Okay, so Euron, in order to make Euron formidable in the book, he's got a lot of arcane associations. He's powerful, he's cunning, he's got an army, he's got a navy, he's, he's got a lot going for him. And a lot of which we don't even know yet. He might have, he's got you know, special armor and all these other artifacts and, and cool stuff like that. He has none of this in the show. But they still need him to be just as powerful in, but they're doing it in different ways. So what they do is, instead of having all these arcade associations, instead of having, you know, a Valerian steel armor or whatever else, he's just got a much bigger fleet, even more powerful than what he has in the show. Or in the books, rather. And they made it even more power, relatively speaking, because they seem to have no opposition fleet where there is the Redwine fleet in the books, which is a good counter to Euron's fleet. But there doesn't seem to be anything like that in the show, so they've just made Euron an ultra-naval power. And that does make him extremely formidable, because that's huge. Um, And in order for him to be on the level of Daenerys, to me, a worthy adversary, they had to make up for this taking all his magic away. So, Lady Gwyn, though, you have some some questions. (laughs) I do have questions. (laughs) you'd like to present to the group.
2: (laughs) Where did this fleet come from? How did he build this fleet? (laughs) Uh, A Thousand Ships, he's talking about the greatest armada Westeros has ever seen. We actually discussed this last season when Yara and Theon absconded with his original greatest fleet that Westeros had ever seen. Um, He was left there on the Iron Islands with no timber and presumably not really that much labor because the ironborn aren't really that plentiful. Um, Not to mention the time factor, so you know this is obviously we have to chalk this up to having to suspend our disbelief aka the um little finger time machine um but you know (laughs) i kind of would have liked to see a little bit of an attempt to explain or acknowledge like how did he come by this at least maybe bragging like can you believe i built this fleet with (laughs) in a a year however much time has gone by i'm not sure how much time is supposed to have passed
3: Yeah I would like to have seen some I mean it would take a sentence or something like that To explain it because I think there is one Explanation that Aziz talked about in the show Only review that helps with this It doesn't doesn't mean that I mean, there's a thousand ships, so you can't have gotten all of them this way. He has to have built some ships. And I also would like to know some concrete details on how much time has passed as well. <laughs> yeah. But just the idea that, um, you know, just like Victorian did in the books, Euron would have picked off mm. ships mm-hmm. that he would have taken control over other different ships with the ships that he had. And then he would have refitted them, mm-hmm. which would have been a lot cheaper right. and less time. But he still has to find the ships, take the ships, refit them.
0: Also, we don't have to assume the Iron Islands are deforested in the show like they are in the books. They're definitely deforested in the books, but yeah. you know the Lannister gold mines are empty in the show and they're not empty in the books, so they can they can just decide that. There's the some Iron Islands island in the Iron Islands we've never timber. seen
3: because yeah. we see the Iron Islands and they are devoid of any. There's another
0: island island in the show yeah. that's Tree Island. Just there we go. All that trees, explains it. Yeah. Old, there's Old Wyke, Great Wyke, and Tree Wyke.
4: Mm. <laughs>
0: So, maybe that explains it. Now, uh, I see a chat um, a chat comment from Acre Frey who points out that the most beautiful comment does play up the Valencar idea a bit, you know, until a more beautiful one comes to, you know, cast you down. It might play into that a little bit. The wording certainly is, is familiar enough. That's a cool catch. I'll have to think about that some more. Do you guys have any takes on that, or is uh, maybe that's just something to think about?
2: Just something to think about. I mean, obviously, Cer- she obviously thinks that you know, he's referring to her. So she obviously thinks that she Mm -hmm. is the most beautiful woman in the world.
0: Yeah. Uh, Be interesting. No. Okay. So then, sorry, what was that? I was going
2: to say, it would be interesting to see what happens maybe, you know, if she gets sort of disabused of that notion.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And here's how I think we might be seeing a book parallel develop here. Euron's association with Cersei here in the show might happen on some level in the books. We don't know. That's certainly on a possibility. But I'm thinking about how to compare this to what happened with Orain Waters. Mm. She trusts that Orain Waters built him a small but potent fleet of huge war galleys of dromons. And then he stole them and turned pirate. And she was told not to put him in control by uh, by Maester Pycelle, who didn't trust him. Uh, especially didn't like who he was choosing as his crews. And, you're, and of course Cersei just... Down poo whatever Pysell has to say, as usual. And one of the things that Cersei was misled by was that she found Oran handsome and she was into him. Oh, you and look I like kind Rhaegar. of feel like. Yeah, she thought he looked like Rhaegar. You're right. <laughs> that's a huge comment, right? And so I wonder if that we're seeing a very loose parallel here that she's gonna be a little let herself be taken in a little bit, because Euron is handsome and You know, and if he brings her back the gift and does all these things he says he's going to do, that could be, you know, she might let her guard down just a little. Mm -hmm. You know, she's too paranoid to fully allow herself to just be happy, you know, (laughs) or be like, ah, I love Euron. That's not going to happen. But it it could be a loose parallel to that, where she kind of lets her guard down just a little bit, makes a mistake because she misjudges someone because of,
4: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, something, a physical attraction or... Something along those lines. Because Euron is, you know, I I thought like her body language was, she wasn't, she was into it. You know, she was, she liked being, you know, courted like this. Yeah,
3: yeah, I I think she did. And I think you raised a good point. I think it was you, in yesterday's show on the episode. I get to listen to it, but I don't get to say much when he's talking about it. (laughs) But uh, when you talked about just the fact that Cersei hasn't really had that sort of experience in her life, because... She just had a, a marriages planned for her from such an early age and arranged for her that she didn't get to get wooed or have multiple suitors or anything like that. Yeah, imagine
0: people hitting on her with Tywin, Tywin uh, uh, and Jamie, you know, around. Like, no one could ever, like, <laughs> like approach her, right? So, yeah, I think that's kind of neat. So maybe, yeah, so it's just like a little, maybe it's a little bit of her getting to get a thing that she missed out on in her early youth that now she's getting... Uh, you know treated like this treated like a, a object of beauty so i think that's interesting we'll have to see how that plays out i really wonder about this cersei urine thing and i really wonder how jamie's gonna be impacted by this this, is, this could be part of what push starts to really push jamie away i mean of course nothing has pushed jamie away yet really even their dead kids and all this other stuff but if he she actually like starts liking another man that might okay. be finally the straw that breaks his back because you know, that's the one thing they still have is that they still love each other.
3: Yeah, you know, during all these scenes with him, I mean, I, I think I can, I think you can sense this internal conflict that he has and this uh, disillusionment that he's experiencing. That he's thrown his lot in with her and that he still loves her and cares about her, but I think you can see that he's very disturbed inside and that I don't think it's such. I mean, maybe it was never a pure love, but I don't think I think it's clouded by what she's done in the situation she's putting herself in right here so I, i think we're very close to seeing that break
0: any other thoughts on that no i agree what about the way you're on... Oh, wait,
3: can I say one more thing? Oh, yes, absolutely. Someone, a comment, which is something I also had thought about from Jesse knows, as far as this t- as the timeline, not much time could have passed just based on Cersei's hair growth. They're just really <laughs> excellent <laughs> shipbuilders, I guess. But I was thinking about that, too. I was thinking her hair maybe could have been a little bit longer, and we would have been able to guess maybe it. she's
0: keeping it short now maybe she's keeping it trimmed look. like that yeah. i <laughs> very much
3: doubt it it works for her it does and i love seeing i love it for cosplay and stuff like that that people can have such a modern hairstyle for that cosplay and stuff like that it's really unique
0: yeah we saw a couple of great cosplays at Con of thrones dude, yeah with a, with a
3: short hairstyle like that but i i want to see i want to see what i want to see but i know we won't see as the season goes forward i just doubt it is her hair just getting slightly longer every episode i really want that i'm doubtful though
0: She's like, maybe she'll be like the mad queen, the mad king, and not let any barber near her. (laughs) (laughs) So Euron also had a couple of, you know, uh, uh, looks back and forth with Clegane, with the mountain, and it could just be nothing. But it seemed like there was a little subtext there, because Euron doesn't know what the hell Sir Gregor is. A lot of people don't know what the hell he is, but he's certainly not... You know, there's certainly plenty of reasons to think he's not all there. He's not all human. Mm-hmm. So he's like, what is this? What is this cool creature? Can I, what well, can I, can I steal this? <laughs> so a theory from Lucas Perzek, uh, listener says instead of Euron torturing warlocks, maybe the parallel will be Euron torturing Kyburn to learn about, you know, how this beast was created or how to steal him, how to control him. Uh, Maybe that's a little far-fetched for theory, but I think it's a cool idea Even if it never happens or nothing like it remotely happens. I like the thought. That's a cool cool idea What do you guys think about that concept? And if you don't have any thoughts on that Tell me about Euron's gift. What do you think the gift is gonna be?
2: Oh, I'll jump right in on Euron's gift because I had really strong feelings that he was referring to Tyrion he'd had all those pointed references to killing your, killing brother. your brother. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, it was it was several times he mentioned it in these kind of significant looks. And then, you know, he says he's going to bring her a gift and there's another significant look. So, you know, not to say that he's going to succeed at that or even that he has any intention necessarily of doing that. Um, maybe, you know, maybe that was his intent and he won't succeed or maybe he was just trying to... Um, you know, lead Cersei on into thinking, "Wow, he's he's gone off to get Tyrion for me." You know, <laughs> so
0: yeah, <laughs> that,
2: To think that's the referral,
0: Young Boy? What do you think?
2: I I kind of like uh,
1: what Lady Gwyn said about him having the intent of Tyrion. You know, if it, if it, if he did mean Tyrion, because he didn't necessarily mean Tyrion, but um, I can't see. The Imp kind of moving across and getting captured at this stage. So I don't think it will be successful, nevertheless. But it could equally be a Sand Snake or Laria, or there's there's a few other thing theories that are floating around. And uh, I'm kind of non-committal about, about them.
0: Yeah. I tend to agree. I think that he would ideally give Tyrion... But yeah. I don't think that's gonna. Yeah, I think that that's,
3: I think that's his goal that he's hoping to get Tyrion for her and maybe other things that he's going to instead be able to get, you know, the sand snakes or something like or, that. Or a
0: sand snake. Or, yeah, yeah, or a
3: sand snake. And they, you know, they killed her daughter. So I think that that'll be a satisfactory gift, but that she still might not want to ally with him. It might not be enough for her.
0: Well, let's compare both of these situations to what might be happening in the books. First of all, if Tyrion is captured by Euron, Quiet Lion is on. The Quiet Lion theory is that Tyrion will have his tongue cut out by someone or but lose his tongue. And if Euron is the one to do it, that would make a lot of sense for Mr. Tongue Cutting himself to be the one to do that. I do not think it'll happen in the show because you can still have a lot of Tyrion without a tongue in the books because he can have an internal story. But here, I mean, how can you do that? How can you take mm-hmm. Peter Dinklage's dialogue out of the show? I just yeah. don't see that happening. Yeah. So... I, uh, that's another thing against Tyrion being captured by Euron in the show but I do think the books is a lot more likely we have a super chat from Jinx Lier posted a question on Twitter not specific to the episode but mostly just think y'all are great thanks so much for all the work you do on screen and behind the scenes yes Jinx we do have your question at the bottom of the document we should have time for it so we'll, um, we'll certainly make sure to do it now especially I think we would have gotten to it anyway so we appreciate the uh, super chat donation also we have a comment from Luis Tolino uh, Tyrion was the gift from Jorah to Daenerys. That is a great point. I, am the gift. I, I <laughs> forgot to put he that says. in the notes, and that's a great catch. He says, "Yeah, I'm the gift." <laughs> <laughs> so, and he yikes! Is, but yikes, I don't think He's a
3: gift. Cersei's so gonna get.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but I think the Sand Snakes, at least in the short term, are a lot more likely because there's first of all, there's three of them, so you can kill one of them off and not really have anything be any different. <laughs> Second of all, they killed Priscilla, so that's a really good thing to give. Even Jamie would be happy with that gift. Yeah. And, you know, and the sand things aren't very popular, so killing <laughs> one of them off would be like, a lot of people would be like, yay.
3: <laughs> but yeah, also Elena's is possible too. I just think it's less likely for him to capture her and give her to Cersei. Yeah.
0: And Elena's really hard to figure out how this is going to, like, as far as the book arc, because... We don't know if the Tyrells are going to get wiped out like they were in the show, you know? I don't know. So Elena going to be the last Tyrell standing is is not necessarily something that's going to even remotely happen in the book. So that's really hard to Uh figure out. But the Sand Snakes are going to King's Landing as per Feast for Crows. Doran sending a couple of them there. So it's kind of easy to see how at least some of these high points could match up, right? They could be there. They could murder Tommen. They could murder Marcella. They could have an
3: interaction with Cersei. Yes, they could,
0: could have these maybe interactions Maybe Euron with Cersei. isn't involved
3: at all. Maybe it's not that Euron's giving Cersei a gift, but that Cersei gets that gift for herself and kills one of the Sand Snakes. Yeah. It is a random example, but it could go similarly, but very differently.
0: It's hard to see how Euron fits into the book aspect of the Sand Snakes at King's Landing. That part, yeah. I think, is probably disconnected. But a lannister uron alliance is absolutely possible in the books too.
3: Yeah, it's um, definitely, I mean, especially given the different prophecies that we've seen a little bit of, that there are clues that lots of people think Cersei is the most likely choice for these prophecies that have these visions that have to do with Euron that I won't go too into detail with. But, I mean, lots of other people think it's Daenerys and they're still unsure, but this definitely gives a little more weight, I think, behind that theory in the books, so as much as maybe we want to separate from it but this is such a big plot line i think it's a big detail that it's more likely than the smaller details
0: yeah another threat another feather in the cap of the theory that olena will be the one taken is that she would be uh, a, a wonderful hostage to ensure the tyrell army stays on their side because right now, they, and that's the conversation that Jamie and and, Dan, and Cersei had. Cersei was all was a little arrogant about it, saying, oh, they'll stick around. You know, the Tyrells won't fight for the Dothraki. They won't fight for the Dragon Queen. And Jamie's like, uh, yeah, they will, if they're winning. <laughs> New so super chat. another super chat from Jason Madden. Tyrion, if I were cut in half, I would be the quarter man. Jaime, if I saw my brother again, I would cut him in half. Mm-hmm. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting. Yeah, so if you're on... Captures Tyrion, maybe that would be Jamie to to be the one to kill him. Uh, I would think Jamie would back off on that when presented with it, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. I do have a, f- I do absolutely think that Jamie and Tyrion will have a chance to interact this mm-hmm. season. Maybe one is captured by the other side's forces. You know, I don't yeah. see them just meeting and being like, "Hey, let's have a chat." But battle can go one way or another. One of them can be captured by the opposite side, and that allows them to interact. And then who knows what will happen after there. Yeah. Um, another aspect of this is Euron captures some of the, either Theon or Yara. Now, I don't think that he would present them as a gift because look, think about the level of gift. Cersei is expecting a gift worthy of her marriage, which is her kingdom.
4: <laughs> this is a
0: re- Yara and Theon are kind of important, but they're not that important to, to Cersei. They're small fries from as far as she's considered. So that would not be enough of a gift. and. Euron wants them for himself. He yeah. wants revenge on them. He doesn't want to give them away for someone else to execute. He wants Yara and, the- uh, and Theon for himself.
3: I like this comment here from Dan Fraser. Will Euron return with a dragon egg? <laughs>
0: I don't think so, but that would be yeah. cool. That would be very cool.
3: I do tend to think of yeah, what kind of mythical, uh, magical objects and, you know, artifacts that he could acquire that would be... Because we are we tend to think of people. We are totally thinking of just what people he could bring Cersei as a gift. But it could be something different. You know, it could be the dragon, for example. But I think that if he has a dragon, he doesn't need Cersei very much.
0: But. Yeah, that's a great point, too. He's like, yeah, what do I need you for? I've got a dragon. <laughs> I think that if, if Yara is captured, um, we have... A comment from our good friend Vanessa Cole, a VK artist, who we had a panel or two with at Con of Thrones*. She suggests maybe Yara, if she's captured by Euron, could get the treatment given to Phalia Flowers in the *Forsaken* chapter—not the pregnancy part, but being strapped to the prow of the Silence. Mm-hmm. Whew, I am worried about Yara, and Euron yeah. wouldn't be gentle. He wouldn't just put her—he wouldn't just kill her and put her out of her misery.
3: We have another super chat.
0: Another super chat, Dropping Nancy Groth, twenty-five dollars. Thank you very much, Nancy. How did Greyjoy Fleet, visuals were awesome, get around Dorne and Stepstone through the Narrow Sea to King's Landing without running into Daenerys' armada? Well, I guess it's just a matter of when when this timeline happened. It does seem like those things happened kind of close together, but, you know, this show, this is a logistics thing. The show (laughs) often just kind of pushes logistical things like that to the side. I mean, look at how fast Littlefinger gets from place to place. Varys, for example was yes. all the way back yes. in Dorne negotiating with the Sand Snakes, Alaria, and Elena, and then went back to Essos to get on yeah. the ships for, to come back to.
3: <laughs> one of the things that's on my mind is I don't remember exactly what they would have what they said during the painted floor scene, but my impression is that you know these, these don't take place concurrently or even necessarily terribly close to concurrently. Yeah. So we might have them talking about oh well she'll go to Dragonstone and then we see her go to Dragonstone, but those actually took place quite a yeah. wild difference you know mm-hmm. between each other. So I, I think that there wasn't crossover there is my explanation for yeah, it. Yeah, I think so too. Even that's... if Cersei's hair isn't growing. <laughs>
0: It's a safe explanation. It makes a lot of sense. It's true. We shouldn't get too bogged down in timeline questions because it is really easy to be fooled by thinking that two scenes that happen one after another are actually happening linearly Uh timeline. It's not, there's no reason to assume that at all. It's easy to make that assumption, (laughs) but we have to remind ourselves that's not the case. So absolutely, just like the books. Yes, because George is a little, plays a little fast and loose with that stuff. We had
3: another comment about this real quick. Um, they, they talk about how they show the location on Dragonstone on the map. That's a map, like, you, you there's a big sea between them that you, you can pass by Dragonstone, like, pass in between Dragonstone and mm-hmm. out of King's Landing without actually being within vision of Dragonstone, is my impression of it, at least, mm-hmm. that it's not just that there's Dragonstone, you can see it from King's Landing, you know yeah. what I mean?
0: It's close, but it's not that close. It's not yeah. that
3: close. So I think there's enough empty space in between that they wouldn't necessarily notice each other. That said, I think that if they had wanted them to notice each other or for it to have been a tight spot, a tight squeeze, they could have made it like that. It's flexible enough either way.
0: Here's an obscure reference that gives a little bit of detail as to how King's Landing in that general area works as far as the geography. In the Princess and the Queen, they the ship taking young Viserys, who was eventually King Viserys I. He's being sent overseas to sort of for protection, to keep him out of harm's way. Along with his other younger brother, young Aegon, who eventually becomes Aegon the uh, Third, wait, no, Aegon, the, yeah, Egon the Third, the Dragonbane. Those two, it says, it's the, the the ships with them sailed right into the teeth of an invasion fleet. And the way the wording kind of made me think that this wasn't inevitable. Like if they had taken a different route, they may have missed each other. It's easy to forget, even with an armada this size, how vast these oceans and seas are. So, and of course, with the time, so with the timeline, not necessarily being linear with the great distances, it works. It may seem a little awkward, but I think upon further reflection, it's, it works fine. Mm -hmm. Question from Josh Wan. What, how much of a part do you th- believe Euron will have? Even if he marries Cersei, once he destroys Danny's fleet, how else is he going to provide much to the story? No one else will have a fleet that I can think of, and the Ironborn aren't known for their prowess on land. Well, the fact that no one else has a fleet that you can think of is is accurate. I think that's a huge point. The fact that he has the only real fleet besides Daenerys is huge, and that's something that makes him more powerful in the in the show versus his book arcs. Um, I do think Daenerys... I don't know if we should take for granted that he'll destroy Danny's fleet, but if he does, then that's really huge because Dany is will be semi-trapped on Dragonstone with a huge army and not necessarily a way to feed it. So, But as far as what else Euron will do for the story, I really wonder about that because another thing that Euron might do in the, in the books is intentionally or unintentionally trigger the other's invasion, maybe help bring down the Wall... Maybe you know summon Krakens from the deep, all this crazy stuff like that, but if he some if the theories about him being involved with the others directly or indirectly are accurate at all, that might mean that he has to have that role somehow in the show as well, either by maybe attacking old town, maybe destroying something important, maybe I don't know i really it's hard to t- it's hard to see what he could do, but that I think that's a, a a fertile ground for theorizing about Euron's arc this season is to try to figure out if there's anything the books could tell us. Anything that he's doing in the books that he hasn't yet done in the show doesn't seem to be primed to be do- doing. Maybe they've just changed the order of what Euron's going to do. They do that a lot. The show takes things, a lot of things from the book. It just moves around what order they happen in. Anyone else have a take on that? It is tricky to figure out Euron because the Euron is a lot different in the show.
1: I think May I think maybe you're expecting a bit too much, Aziz. You know, just, just to... You know the seven episodes. What role? Euron might just have a small military role. You I know, might it's might yeah. you know take some ships, give the gift, and be involved in battles. And really, that could be it. it. It doesn't. You know, the story doesn't really require him to be some. You know, kingpin. At this stage, he's kind of like the third generation bad guy that's kind of been thrown in. And I think going into season eight, it'll all it'll all be about danny getting up north so i can't see these conflicts going on too much longer
0: i tend to agree i just wonder if we're wrong about that it's you know it's fun to theorize about what might happen instead um but with that in mind i think we can go ahead we talked about we're starting to talk a little bit about old town that's a good segue
3: yeah perfect segue and let me just say I, I uh, we watched the opening credits for the episode, and instantly I was like, I don't care what else happens in this episode because we saw Old Town. <laughs> yes,
4: credits. so we get pretty to see
3: that, and we get to see the High Tower coming up. This this shot that I switched it to now. Anyways, it's all I care about. So I'm beautiful. done with this episode yes. now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about let's talk about Old Town. We get Archmaster Ebros. At uh, first, people thought that might be Marwyn, but it's Ebros. Uh, Yogurt, you have some thoughts here. Yeah, that was it.
1: The the rumors were, were of Marwin. That was wishful thinking. It's Ebrose, he is in the books, and you know, he's the guy that kind of inspires Kyburn to to inadvertently, however, to to uh, become you know a, a necromancer because um Kyburn says that he wanted to surpass Ebrose. Ebrose is a healer, he wears silver, and the silver means healing in in, in the Citadel. So that that's all we know of Ebros in the books, and there's a bit there's a bit on him in the world books. If anyone wants to kind of look up a few things, he's
0: he's done a a few a few bits and
1: pieces in the world book.
0: Um, and there is certainly some poignant things that come from the conversation with Sam. He has his. Uh, <laughs> I'm distracted by a super chat comment. Nicole Chastain wants us to make a poop soup repeat. We can't we've coined uh, the term I
2: call it poop soup loop.
0: It's a poop soup loop that Sam is dealing so with here.
2: It was so gross. <laughs> <laughs> it was so, so, so great. We brought that up in our show only
0: review uh, Yeah. Right, I'm since we're since I'm repeating things I said in the last episode. I'm gonna say this again too has this is a show that's done some of the most disgusting Mm. vile things with blood and gore but this was worse (laughs) this is more gross (laughs) so well done game of thrones you've topped yourself i there's one of the really neat undertones though in this Ebro scene when he's telling sam why they shouldn't really have to worry that much is that it really encapsulates the attitude we get about the citadel in the books that they're just kind of like (laughs) poo-pooing all the magic poop soup looping all the magic we'll say And they're in denial and they're kind of in this like, these are kind of like ivory tower academics that are just focused on work and data and just ignore the real world. And I thought that was a really cool way of presenting it because it's a, like you said, the show doesn't have a lot of time left. And so there, you know, Arya's scene with that was kind of, it was, they may have converted her to human again, you know, as like being a human person and having a heart in one scene. So I can see how some of these major things can happen really quickly. So that's that's why I'm, I can buy the timeline arguments as far as there's not a lot of time. But I also see that they do things really quickly sometimes. They find a way to move things really fast. So I wouldn't put that past them. Um, so I thought that was they really do, cool. They
1: demolished the phrase in in one episode, at least. Yeah, exactly. You're right. That's
0: a good <laughs> point. Like it's just super fast. They do some things really fast. Like Arya conducted her biggest revenge arc and started to become a human being Moving again along. all within two short scenes you know they, they move things really fast sometimes so uh so I, I thought that was really neat the whole ebro scene and how he's kind of encapsulating things that people have been saying about the citadel in the books for all this time and they just managed to fit it into one speech so that was really cool
3: um oh god geek furious says next Count of thrones Poop soup will 100% be a meal served for all the <laughs> human parties I'm just picturing. That's another thing. Yeah, it is soup. <laughs> uh, that's, that's oh, I'm gonna go into a
0: laughing fit here.
3: But uh, one of the interesting things to me about the scene, about these uh, scenes with Sam in general, obviously, are just every shot we have of a book mm. and I'm like, ooh! As soon as you are watching it, I'm like, we're gonna screen cap that. I'm excited and. As it turns out, I mean it, it's the show, so I don't put as much stock into what they're saying as I do in the book. But there's actually are some pretty interesting things in this section. I think the one most relevant that people are talking about right now in the chat are um, the fact that they have they have reference to dragon glass being used to cure things, like um,
4: grayscale,
3: like grayscale, <laughs> which we obviously have um, Jora there, and so we could see that come into play. But the thing I wanted to highlight here from the comment from the chat, and I wanted to find out who said it, but was um, Mengalius Ram who said, um, do you think dragonglass cured Shireen from Grayscale?" Um, it's not really clear how she was cured, he says, and but she was a dragonstone, wasn't she? And I think that's an interesting angle on it. I don't think it was used, but I do wonder how dragonglass is used to heal someone, and if living on dragonstone could help her uh, her, her ability to withstand it.
0: Yeah, the books, some of those things off to the side of those books that are hard to read, some of those shots, there's a mention of the Valyrians apparently n- using dragon fire to weaken obsidian and make it more malleable, and then it leads directly to their fused stone. So the fused stone, according to Game of Thrones canon, the fused stone is obsidian, which is a n- very new, something we need to, we need LML here to be seeing <laughs> It's a huge thing. He'll, he'll go ape on that one. Uh, but yeah. I, it's tricky because how does her just being in proximity to, I mean, Shireen, being in proximity to Obsidian cure her? Yeah. But we have a lot of cases of, like, Grayscale's been presented as a bit like chicken pox for kids. Like, they're able to get over it um, yeah. somewhat. But also in the books, Gilly, or rather Val, whose, a lot of her lines were given to Gilly in this regard, is, freaks out about Grayscale. And Val is, like, really chill. She's, like, laughs at you know Shireen or at celice and is just not just thinks authority is ridiculous, so she's not easily intimidated, but she was adamant that that Grayscale is bad news and that it's not that it never goes away, that it just sleeps. So I guess what we're being set up here is that if Grayscale can cure or if, if Grayscale can be cured by Obsidian, then I guess putting two and two together it's pretty simple. Jorah's gonna be cured, I guess, by Sam. And maybe that means there won't be a grayscale epidemic like there seems to be in the books we're being poised to have that my theory though i have a theory that maybe since euron's probably gonna do severe damage to old town possibly destroying the citadel we could still have the citadel destroyed in the show too i'm not as i'm not as sure about that especially because i don't know how that would happen but maybe if there is a grayscale epidemic in old town then i would think that this is a stand-in for euron to attacking old town so something awful happens to old town instead of instead of it being you're on looting and sacking and pillaging it it's it's a grayscale epidemic so mm. i don't know what do you got any any thoughts on that is that kind of far-fetched or or um <laughs> am i just trying to make the book fit the show here yeah. <laughs> maybe
1: yeah it's very easy to do that isn't it i mean the canons are set separate I, i'm
0: very wary of taking anything from the show yeah uh-huh. yeah absolutely yeah it's just it's fun to theorize but obviously none of these thing ideas should be like oh this is definitely it. Yeah, know? I
3: think we we generally make it clear when we're like, this kind of impa- impacted how I think about a plot line in the books. And other times I think we're all generally thinking of the mm-hmm. show. Like when I talk, when we're talking about Dragon Glass curing people, I don't tend to think mm. that, that extends to the books. And I wasn't thinking yeah. about Shireen at all. Yeah, they that. didn't put that. I was that. thinking about it purely in a show context. Yeah, me too, me too. But I do wonder, like, we have that stabbing thing with the obsidian to mm-hmm. change them into that. And so I wonder how the curing would work, if it's related to that mechanism. Like, would he, like, place the dragon glass on his hand? I don't they know.
0: weren't trying to make the Night's King or White Walkers. <laughs> they were just trying to cure his grayscale and it just went horribly wrong.
3: <laughs> yeah, Jorah's going to try to get cured, and he's going to turn into a White Walker. That's right. Jorah
0: the White Walker. He's For the sure. Stone Bear. Soon he'll be the Stone Walker. So... Let's talk about the books, though. I did The books were just... <laughs> yeah. It's just it's like, ooh, please, Sam. Yes, read the books. Read the books, please. Uh, Demetrius M., Patreon supporter, mentions that sh- this is a little reminiscent of Jaqen Jake stealing books from the Citadel. Obviously, he's looking at different things, though. This, the, the prevailing theory on Jaqen is that he's looking for knowledge of dragons. The book Death of Dragons is the most popular mm-hmm. theory as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Sam is looking at Long Night yeah. stuff, which is pretty different. Um and uh there's so that's really kind of interesting to think about that parallel that that kind of throws off the comparisons to jockin um we did see
3: also some valyrian steel in there we see Littlefinger's dagger again you mentioned it in the show on the review but we should be thorough and yes. mention that it is his dagger that
0: is the exact dagger maybe a mo- maybe that's like a a model the proto <laughs> model that's this is this is many valyrian steel daggers were made on this particular model <laughs> Uh, there's also on the sidebar there on the books you can see mention of glass candles there's a mention of Lomas Longstrider there's a mention of Valyrians making jewelry and all that and a mention of Valerians collecting dragonglass in huge amounts which the evidence of that was lost because of the doom they were legend says the dragonglass was collected in huge amounts and then the doom happened and they lost it all so wonder maybe there's a, uh, some crackpot theory in there about why the Valyrians were trying to gather so much dragonglass um, Lady Gwen, you had some thoughts on this this Long Night book that that uh, Sam was reading. The one Gilly Billy was
2: reading. reading um, you know, you guys shared this the screenshot with us, and I was reading it last night. and I thought, geez, this seems awfully familiar." And sure enough, <laughs> it's just the exa- it's the Long Night section from the World of Ice and Fire. Um, <laughs> That's great. Makes
3: sense. They should be using real world. Yes. Yeah, so I, they, I did. <laughs>
2: Check, of course. I, you guys may have too. this. What Sam was reading uh, was not that seems to have been written for the show. At least I couldn't find any yeah. of those um, phrases in yeah. the world of ice and fire. But the Gilly one it was definitely pretty cool. Um, yeah,
0: I see someone asking why a book on the long night was in the restricted section, which is
2: mm. <sighs> well. Don't they Stone want to kind night? of deny that it, is, you know, that it ever really happened? I mean, there's this yeah. sort of. Mass oh. denial about any of that ancient history having been a thing. The others didn't ever exist and all that stuff. I don't
0: know. And what did, what about your thoughts on Stannis? Yeah. Some people pointed this out that Sam already knew about the mm-hmm. Dragonglass and Yeah, yeah. I mean you, what do you know, in the books
2: that? is um, it's Stannis um, who gives us that whole, that whole bit of information about Dragonglass on Dragonstone um after sam yeah you have a
0: a quote here don't you yeah
2: i do he says uh on dragonstone where i had my seat uh there is much of this obsidian to be seen in the old tunnels beneath the mountain chunks of it boulders ledges the great part of it was black but there was some green as well some red purple i've sent word to sir roland storm uh my castellan to begin mining it and um that's pretty much the last we hear of roland storm we assume that he was, you know, in the, when Loris assaulted Dragonstone in Feast, but um, we don't really know what became of Sir Roland or his mission to mine Dragonstone out uh, of Dragon Gauss. Yeah.
0: It's tricky there, too. This, from a book perspective, that throws a loop for our predictions, you know, we don't, because the Dragonstone situation in the books is so unclear, it's hard to make comparisons here.
3: I just want to say something not to distract us, but uh, Acre Frey in the chat gives a good explanation for another reason why it would be in the restriction, restricted section. There's just very few copies of it. Oh, okay. Just so for... Just, yeah, just makes sense. Yeah, to just a it. rare book. Anyways.
2: It doesn't
0: have to be like secret knowledge, no, just a rare book. just okay. a
2: rare book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like Maester Kate's Life of Kings, which <sighs> there are now only four copies, yeah.
0: <laughs> the mundane <laughs> answer is often yeah. the best. Um, yeah, yeah. Also, Acre Frey, who is lord of the chicken dance, it must be said, asks, will the maesters discover the missing missing books, and if so, will he be punished for that? Uh, that's a tough call. I think... Uh, maybe they don't have time to deal with... Uh, it seems like a subplot like that may not be very important, but I could... Maybe that drives him to act more harshly or rashly or more boldly because he's lost access to the books or yeah, something. I mean, he's
3: he's I mean, he's already in the hole. I think he's just acting more and more recklessly because he's he's just already he's already sold his he's, he's already stolen his family's ancestral sword. Yeah. What's a few books from the Maester Citadel? You know what what's whatever next thing he does is I do mm. think that he's going to have to I mean, he's just trying to save the world here. Sam's so. a sneaky
0: dude, he, he messed with the Lord Commander election, he uh, yeah, stole right. Heart's Bane, <laughs> He's st- That
3: was the first slide
0: <laughs> Okay, I think that's that covers that for now. Let's go ahead and move on to, unless anyone has more Old Town Citadel questions, we can go ahead and move on to our final location, which is Dragonstone. Then we'll take a few more questions and call it a day. We're already past two hours. We're already past two hours. (laughs) That's okay. We're all having fun. We still have a lot of y'all in the chat room here. That is
3: our first episode of the new season. I think we can go a little. We all
0: have a lot to say. (laughs) We've been waiting. It's been building up for many months, right? (laughs) Okay, Shay, you've got a lot to say about Dragonstone. At least let's uh, let you start here.
3: Um. I don't actually have a ton to say about Dragonstone. Well, whose notes turns- are these?
0: I thought these were your notes.
3: Those are Joe Buckley's notes.
0: Oh, awesome! Okay, Joe great. Joe
3: Buckley has a lot to say. Joe Buckley uh, wrote us the some notes here. From My Hand, of course.
0: Thanks again, Ooh. Joe, for these notes. Yeah. he he's, he mentions that I don't recall a book description of that long long thing channel up to the fortress. I imagine that will come into play at some point in the season. Yes, as in he's talking about Mm -hmm. the huge, long walkway up to the castle.
3: I really want to see some sort of action sequence. I usually don't care about action sequences at all, but I really think that... it. Uh, could lend itself to a really engaging and interesting sequence. Where the, I just want to see someone chasing. Someone yeah. <laughs>
0: There's definitely some, some scenes from the trailers that show, you know, people walking on it, but that doesn't look like it's action about to happen. But obviously that doesn't mean there can't be. So I, I'm with you. That would be a really cool place to have some action. Um, another comment here. Logistically, Dragonstone can't house Danny's army for long. Perhaps his spurs are into sending out the Unsullied slash Dothraki for attack. I agree. That's part of it's It's... it's talks about or it plays into how that scene went with her she just says nothing she walks right past the throne she's like yeah the throne there it is this is where i need to be the strategy room right she goes right to the painted table and is like let's start talking about how to invade and the show usually dodges logistics but this her army is so so massive that i don't i think they can't completely dodge logistics on that so that's something we talked about earlier euron if euron is able to have a successful outing against her ships maybe with sneak attack maybe somehow avoiding the dragons if she's able to, if he, he's able to, like take out enough of her ships, she'll have real problems. All her army is stuck on this island, right?
4: Yeah.
0: That could be uh, that could be something that is a real trouble for Danny. And we need things to be trouble for her because, as we keep pointing out, her army is, is massive and powerful. And but food could be something that undoes her if winter comes farther south, which we're seeing it in the Vale already. But how are the Dithraki going to handle winter? You know, let alone the food issues. So, I think that could be something that Danny has a lot of issues with. Uh, along with her not having full control of her dragons yet.
3: Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was really happy to see Dragonstone. I thought it looked pretty great. Obviously, it's not the Dragonstone that we maybe picture from the books that actually has carved dragons that make up the castle itself, whereas this just had, you know, a couple gargoyle dragons at the front area and stuff like that. But I think we're all pretty used to the. Castles not being as spectacular. For instance, I think we're going to see Casually Rock this season. I don't know that I expect it to be just a massive hulking mountain that they're inside of. The <laughs> kind of, ex- I'm, I'm pretty much guessing it's going to be more of a traditional castle. Yeah. But that was my disappointment in the stunning, beautifully shot scene <laughs> was that it wasn't exactly how I wanted it. <laughs> Can't shake it.
0: Question from Callum Evans. How do you think Danny is feeding this huge army she has? She could be getting supplies from the Tyrells. But it's a risky move, uh, moving all the food, especially in the unfriendly waters on Dragonstone. Yes, we kind of touched on this already, but yeah, I don't know. I think that one suggestion is that she's going to not sit around. She's going get to get a move on. And as soon as she has any success on the mainland, then that will enable her to get a hold of a lot more food. But Dragonstone is not a good place to get a lot of food. So that's a, that's a huge problem. So I do think that's going to be part of her arc is dealing with this situation, dealing with how her large army is and dealing with who it is, who her army is. The Unsullied are going to be disciplined and obedient, but this Raki, well, they'll probably be obedient, but just disciplined. Uh, I don't know about that.
4: Mm.
0: And a lot of people comment on it's odd that Dragonstone is empty. We, we, we don't have a lot of time, so we're just going to kind of, we talked about this in, in the show only version. I think it is a little odd, but it can be, there's a lot of ways to explain it. And I just don't think it's terribly important. There's some strategic reasons as well. But I'm not going to repeat what I said in the show-only version. Yeah, yeah. It's also hard to compare because of the whole Laura situation and everything. Yeah, you would just
3: normally, you would expect to at least see some basic staff. So a a chef and a person cleaning it. There's some people that live there. There's a little town. There's people that live on the island. So you might expect to <laughs> see something with that, uh, and I, I think that we still could see that, but I, I'm really doubtful that we will. I don't think it's ultimately yeah. very important.
0: I think they just, yeah. ideally, they would have handled that differently, but they just time constraints. So they're like, let's not bother showing them taking Dragonstone. It's mm-hmm. just it would it, she's going to win. It'd just be a small scale engagement, blah blah blah. Yeah, it just, I would have liked
3: to see someone yeah. who's been on Dragonstone since her family lived there, or something like that. That they, she could have. Yeah. You could have had a scene with her interacting with some small folk that lived there already. I don't know.
0: Plus, we're not sure how to handle this. That's, like, it's, there's one thing to garrison a castle, but like, you know, dragons. Like, how do they yeah. deal with that? Lady Gwen, you had a comment? Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, I was going to say, I, I would have liked to see something like that too. That's what I was thinking. I'd like to see some uh, old guy with a broom. He was <laughs> like, I was here when your mother was here. <laughs> you know? um, uh, but, you know, it's probably not completely empty. So I won't say no more in case people haven't seen the trailers. I assume most people have, but.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, I don't know that we have a whole lot more to say about Dragonstone. So let's take a few more questions. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's a question. Some of these questions are a little bit random, but we, these are good questions. Despite that. From Lord Botchington of Middlefell. What ideas slash rumors have you heard about the fact that in the show, there were only two Kingsguard at the Tower of Joy. We're going back a little ways here. Is it significant or should we put a lot of thought into or not? And I mean as it compared to the books, that's the question, I think. Uh, I don't. I think they just tried to combine um, Gerald Hightower and Oswald went gave them aspects of them both were present in that character. Um, I don't have anything we can read into that as far as how that, that might matter to the books. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm missing something, but I don't think that's uh, – I think that's just a standard shortening of the cast. Any other thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, it's just, just that exact no, thing it's Lady Gwen's law of conservation of conservation, characters of, yeah. actors, conservation everything. of Kingsguard yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so a question from Rebecca Lawson Clegane Bowl question mark how can Sandor and Gregor wind up in the same place to have a showdown yeah that is really tricky seems I, really
3: tricky it seems like they're moving at a pretty quick pace we could see that they're headed north let's say they're north next episode They have a few episodes that still gives them time to come back by episode 7. So I don't think it's off the table yet, just based on how quick of a pace they really are moving at right now.
1: I think Ed Sheeran could capture the Hound and bring him back to Cersei.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We haven't seen the last of Ed Sheeran.
0: Here's a comment from. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think maybe in the fact, if Sandor goes to Eastwatch, well, it's a port. There's a you yeah, yeah, south. Yeah, I could see the port. But,
3: they do something, and then they end up uh-huh. coming going back south for something else. I, I, it's yeah. totally possible for me. It'll get less and less possible as the season goes on, though.
0: Yeah. Okay, we're winding down. I can take a few more questions. If you have more, if you have a question, last chance to get it in. Another one from Acre Frey. Will White Walkers get as far as the God's Eye? Ooh. Mm-hmm. Good one. That, this is more of a prediction-type question than rather than something that we can actually point to evidence for. Uh, oh, there are is some evidence that there will be White Walkers as far as the Trident, based on one of Daenerys' visions from the book. And the God's Eye is not far from there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I could see that happening. Yeah, I think that might be, in fact, I think that might be about as far as they get. I don't know if they'll get any farther south than that, but... Yeah,
3: uh, Riverlands yeah
0: mm-hmm. any any other takes on that do you guys think I mean we know if they're, if, Danny fights them in the Riverlands given their revisions they also go to the, go go the Vale
3: <laughs> so technically the Riverlands are you know more south or equal to the Vale but still a very different region
0: yeah you know, hmm. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. they'll just stay sad of they're like I don't know they just aren't interested in us <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's true okay I think we've got one last question here from Jinx from all, are all associate courtesans slaves, or do some get to keep their money? Irogenia of Lice seems to have had some power. Thoughts?
3: I think uh, plenty of them aren't slaves. Yeah,
0: a lot of them are probably the majority because yeah. there's yeah. so much slavery there. It's rabid. but just
3: like in any situation, when you if you if you're able to have power over someone in some situation, you can, you could make your freedom. You could you know get the money. You could get a. Uh, you Know uh, a master, so to speak, that would free you because you were such a good courtesan or something like that. It has to happen, and of course, in places so, like Bravos where they have
0: Bravo's, no slavery,
2: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> obviously, the Bravosi courtesans, yeah, yeah.
0: they're it's, the freest of all or
2: <laughs> pentashis. I suppose why were, why were
3: courtesans on the mind?
0: I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's just curious, I suppose. Yeah, I was, I
3: was trying to think, I was like, did something happen in this episode?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. Uh, we got our worries
0: of the week. We do have our worries of the week. Um, I kind of already expressed mine, which is Yara. Does anyone else have a different worry of the week besides Yara? Um. Just Danny's fleet in general. (laughs) Mm. I mean, we talked about Mm. the possibility of a sand snake dying and maybe Tyrion being captured, possibly. I think people would be worried. Oh, she says she's a sex worker, so that's why she's curious. It's a real-life comparison. Okay, that makes sense. Perfect. Trying to make a comparison to the medieval world. That's cool. Um. Yeah, and uh, what so, was I saying?
3: Dude, we were just talking about <laughs> who was more the most likely to die. So, uh, oh, yeah. boy gave his story week. week. Uh, what about yours, Lady Gwen? Oh, I'm
0: sorry. I was going to say that we talk about a sand snake dying, but I don't think I was worried no. about that. <laughs> no,
2: I'm not worried about that at all. Right. I was just going to say the same exact thing about Littlefinger I mean, Oh, you think he's
3: going to die But yeah. you're not worried about him, I see Not
2: really worried about that at all Yeah, yeah.
3: I, I, I think I might say Yara Otherwise, but I think mm. my choice Right now would be Tormund I don't think he's going to die like yeah. next week Yes, But I'm worried about Tormund I'm more worried that he's not going to interact with Brienne again
2: mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's a fair one Well, I'm worried about anyone going to Eastwatch so. <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah, true yeah. Bunch of nameless, faceless wildlings and torment. Yeah. yeah, that's ours for the
3: week. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it'll move at a quick pace, but I'm not expecting any massive deaths next week.
0: Well, Yoke Boy, we've we've made it difficult for you to pick a worry of the week because we took all the good he ones. He chose have- the dragons. He chose oh, the, okay. the fleet. Oh, he said the fleet. Uh, he okay. chose
3: a non-death one. Just a fleet. The fleet. Just the death just of clever. ships.
2: Non-death of an inanimate <laughs> Yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: cool. I, I'm more worried about you know the the great woodwork going under the sea <laughs> and uh, you know the great great prows. Last <laughs> of all, sinking.
2: that Amazing.
3: Yeah, all those, all, those, all those flags are going to get damaged by the wind and water, faded, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, on theme of worrying about objects to the people, uh, I think we are all should be worried about the Citadel this season.
3: Yes, true.
0: We hmm. could go all Library of hmm. Alexandria on us, and that would be sad.
3: <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> no. It's so pretty
0: and full of books. <laughs> Please yeah. don't.
3: So another thing we should talk about is just say what each of our favorite plot line or moment was as hard as that is to, to rifle down. I do think Mm -hmm. that we might have a thing to say about that. Well, you start then. I'll start. (laughs) Uh, it was really hard for me to choose because, honestly, this was an episode where I didn't have a lot of major complaints, uh, which is kind of my standard for the show at this point, is that if there was something that like really irked me, it, it's hard for me to appreciate the rest of it. But this one, I just liked it all. Anything was very minor, logistical things that I don't care about. But I, I particularly liked the interactions up in the north that Sansa and Brienne Torman Tormund and all of them were getting into. But I think my choice is the Citadel. No surprise because cool. I love the Citadel. We got to see actual screen caps of the books. I love a good montage, and that was nothing like a good montage. But no, it was a great montage actually. <laughs> as much as it was disgusting, it was it was very funny. This episode in general, I thought was really hilarious. I was surprised by how absolutely hysterical it was constantly, and so I, I particularly liked this episode for that reason. I'm a big comedy fan.
0: Right on
3: about you you have your answer ready you i have, think i'll go with the
0: brotherhood show. scenes Brotherhood scenes. yeah, yeah. it's cool. a really tough call i really like the episode a lot overall but i think i'll go with that one because it, it, it was it raised a lot of interesting issues and i love how it's such an, a bit of an existential crisis for sandor which i think is just, yeah. just a cool concept because he's he had the world figured out so well more than anybody but even he was missing so much and now the world is changing
3: mm-hmm. and
0: watching him deal mm-hmm. with that is really interesting
2: all
3: right. Yeah. One of you guys want to go
2: first? Are you ready? I know it's a hard question. I'll go. I think uh, I'm going with um, with the Gravedigger scene. Cool. cool. Yeah. Good. Very good. Very mm, good. Yeah.
0: Subset of the full brotherhood.
2: Yeah.
1: I think I'm gonna go for you know uh, oh ah yeah, not not the not the uh, not the opening yeah. scene. I didn't like that that I thought that was really rushed. The the scene with Ed Sheeran. And just the rehumanization and you know, the, the fact that it's given a platform for Aya to change to change her personality into a you know, a good positive step for the first time in a you know, that half the half the story. So I thought that was a really great scene, how it made you feel about the, you know, the people's families and, you know, sensing that they were good guys and Aya can be a good person too.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it was such a, again, I'll, I'll say it again, it was a really Feast for Crows scene. You know, uh-huh. It was just one of the themes of Feast for Crows, is those, the, the, the fate of everyday people. And, uh, yeah.
3: Yeah, I love that scene, too. That's why it was a really hard question. I really could have just named all of them and given a reason why they were my favorite mm-hmm. scene. But I want to give one <laughs> mention to, I think, my favorite moment or line. I don't know. There's a lot that I maybe could say in a different mood. But right now, the one that I'm thinking of that just keeps cracking me up is your ongoing. And I have two good hands. And then it cuts the a on Jamie's face, and he looks so devastated, and like very subtly crestfallen at the at the reminder of this. And yeah. it's just awful, but it cracks me up so much. Up
0: to that point, Euron had flattered him, but he's talking about how amazing yeah. a fighter he was, and he's like, ah, but two yeah. hands, yeah. Uh. <laughs> Okay, folks, thank you all for sticking with us for this very long episode. I know a lot of you So far are we're
3: three minutes shorter than you were. <laughs> just longer. as obsessed
0: as we are, and it's great to share all this with you. Our community is growing and growing. Real quick stat that's amazing. Game of Thrones viewership has already gone up 50% since last season, as far as the first episode is concerned.
3: Yeah, 150%.
0: Yeah, a massive increase. Mm-hmm. 16.1 million people watched the mm-hmm. premiere, and that's a pay channel. Like, this is really hard to, to process how mm-hmm. popular the show has become. It's, it was already HBO's most popular show of all time by a while, or by a mile, mm-hmm. and now it's just mm-hmm. putting even more distance between itself and other of HBO's great shows.
2: So. Is that how many people watched it on HBO or Yeah, so
0: it doesn't count illegal downloaders or any of people, that stuff, which yeah. of course it's also right. well widely known as the most illegally the downloaded most show. Yeah. So yeah, it obviously <laughs> doesn't
3: count the live it doesn't, it's not I thought the live plus 3 count either because we hadn't even been 3 days later when that was released. Oh, yeah. So that was the day and probably the mm. that was probably I don't remember but it was probably the live plus 24 hour rating or something like that. Mm. But uh yeah, massive numbers. Yeah, that's
0: Interesting. okay well thanks very much to Radio Estros for joining us the for first... Yoke
3: Boy for being up at 1.30am yes as... extra
0: thanks to Yoke Boy for being up so late he Acre is in Freight England
3: mentioned that and reminded me that it is that late for
0: him yes that's uh, <laughs> that's some uh, toughness there that's some podcasting toughness from our friend over yeah. there so
1: oh yeah
0: for all the way you
1: know I'd stay up till 2.30 if I could <laughs> <laughs> Th- thanks guys for having us on Thank you very much for having us on. We'll be, we'll be with you for the book to show all season. And I uh, hope you're watching us enjoy it. Mm-hmm. If you want to check out our podcast, we're a book podcast where we go through all the characters and the arcs and the theories. Come to radiowesteros.com, We've got a YouTube channel or we've got the iTunes
0: podcast. Thanks for listening. Stop calling me Rachel in the comment box says, Yoke Boy equals my hero. Oh.
3: Thought you'd like to hear that. Yeah, oh, oh, thank you. Lots of positive Yoke Boy comments. <laughs> but uh yeah, so I think we're going to talk a little bit about what's on The Next Time On, but I don't know if you wanted to do that after after the Patreon credits. Yeah, let's
0: uh, let's do our Patreon credits. If you want to stick around, it's gonna, we don't have much to say about The Next Time On, but we do have a few things we decided not to mention them during the episode in case they're spoilery.
3: Some of you don't like watching The Next Time On. Which I accidentally mentioned
0: a couple of the things in this uh, in, in the show only episode. Uh, I felt pretty bad about that. Oh,
3: that's funny. <laughs> Luckily,
0: that's... there wasn't much to spoil, but I did say one thing that I should not have said.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So I'll apologize again for that. Sorry. Sorry guys,
4: sorry.
0: <laughs> okay, so let's do this. The Patreon credits. We are very thankful to our. I like to. I'm kind of come up with a cool word for this. We don't have a lot of regular corporate sponsors, so we have you guys. We have subscriber sponsors. We have community sponsors, and that is what Patreon is. You our go to Patreon
3: Overlords. <laughs> yeah. you know you say, like your corporate overlords. Corporate
0: overlords. Yes, exactly. we don't have that. Yes, <laughs> we, have, we have a much friendlier situation. <laughs> you guys make the show possible and it's really amazing that we're able to do this and i'm constantly thankful about it uh the way patreon works if, just in case some of you aren't aware you go to history patreon.com slash history of Wester- westeros you get to decide an amount you want to support the show with each month also we've got a link to radio Westeros' patreon Theirs is every is per episode, slightly different, but it's the same concept. So, you, you decide an amount you want to give per episode in their case or per month in our case. That's as simple as that. They they debit your account at the beginning of each month. And you can turn it off at any time. So, that's that. I don't need to say much more about that. But, thanking specific people, Mysterious BR, hand to the king. Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog, and Warden of the West, a fine, upstanding gentleman who is also very tall. <laughs> <laughs> and, Lord, and a triple. Yes. <laughs> Lord George Stormsville the Cutting is Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Cabethy Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods, and Warden of the North. little tweak to his title there, very appropriate. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. Kohol Koyi, Master of the Bow called Sunpiercer, she, I make it very clear that Kohokoi is a she, has tracked down her latest target, a detective who put an innocent man in jail. He deserves the flaming arrow he took to the face from her. That's right. No one deserves punishment more than those who seek to serve justice, but instead reverse it. Our small council is made up of Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight and Master of Whisperers. Grand Maester Saria of the Barrows is Cinder of the Citadel. Lord Robert Jacobs is Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever is Master of Laws. Lord James Tuttle is Master of Ships. Our lords and ladies in their castles include Lady Direllis of Castle Knocking, the Alpha Patron. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell is Breaker of the Second Stone. Lord Skip of the Velvet is Lord of Castle Ganges. Mary Meg is Lady of the Bloody Stepstones. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort. Alicia Everlasting of the Green Blood, is Lady of Desert Rose. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Ashlyn Winter is the Hawke's Eye and Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is Leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. The Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is Wielder of the Valyrian Steel, uh, Steel Machete Everglades. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Dawnhold. Lord Bemi Snugglebunny is Guardian of the Hidden Hundred Acre Werewood. That one's hard to say. <laughs> Lord Osborne of Castle Werewoods, Our roots run deep. I think we got some questions from you in there, buddy. Lord Brandon Brewer of Castle Blackroon is sworn smith to House Stark, Master of the Zithomancer's Guild and Keeper of the Buzz. I believe he's also one of your patrons over there. I think some of, a lot of these... People also support the Radio West. Yeah, roast.
1: nice to hear that people are in, into both of our podcasts. That's great news.
0: Yes. Great thing about Patreon, it? yes, it's so fun. Uh, Brian of the Defender is Lord of the Spearfort in the Free Last scion of Clan McCulloch. motto: Strength and Courage. And last, but certainly not least, the bastard of the Wolfswood, first forester of the Old Gods, is sworn to House Iron Werewood. Their motto: Listen for the silence. Also, thanks to King's Justice, Sir Troy, the steady wielder of the Valyrian steel blade, Fate. He's as steady as they come. Thanks, Troy. Also, Lord Commander Sir Christopher Dane of Starfall, Sentinel of the Torrentine, leading our Kingsguard. And last, but certainly not least, the history of Westeros is Night's Watch, commanded by Lord Commander Daenerys Flint of the Nightfort, who is avenging the memory of Brave Danny. She is assisted by First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Green Shield, First Builder Patchface of Motley Wisdom. And last but not least, first steward, Sir Jurian of the Torrentine called Palewind. All right, that takes care of our patrons. Thanks very much, everyone. Every time the show season comes around and we have so much to do, I'm even more thankful to our patrons because it's a reminder of how much time we're able to spend in Westeros doing all this fun stuff. Let's talk about what we learned from the next on. This is a little bit spoilery, so this is a time to sign off if you do not want to hear what's coming up even though we don't know a whole lot but there's a few key things probably the most key thing is that we see Nymeria yeah right when you guys agree is that the most yeah. important thing yeah yes That's pretty hard to be more other things than
3: we've seen in the trailers and we've seen like some of the shots we've even just straight up seen some of them we just know are just obvious like of course of course Ilaria uh, and Olenna and the Sand Snakes are involved with Daenerys of course we're going to get a scene with them that sort of thing we didn't know when Arya would interact with Nymeria, so that's huge. But one of the other things was um, we get that Yalaria shot of Ilaria and Yara kissing each other, which we don't really know the context for, but it seems like it'll happen next episode.
0: It does, because mm-hmm. we definitely see Ilaria in, in the room of the painted table. So that's uh, clearly happening, which, by the way, is interesting, uh, given the whole capturing a sand snake idea. If mm-hmm. that clearly means they took ship to Dragonstone, and it might mean they then leave afterwards. So either on the way on the way there, clearly Alaria gets there, but maybe something happens on the way back. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. watch out mm-hmm. for that. Um, what else did we learn from the trailer? I guess there wasn't a whole lot.
3: I thought that was to the two. I thought those were the two most relevant things. The yeah. that we see Alaria and Yara yeah. are hooking up this early, and then we see Nymeria.
0: And we see that yeah, that right. shot the painted table or that room with them in it. We
3: thought them up. All- we're getting ready, yeah, and mm. we know the name of it mm. is Stormborn, and so that tells right. us a lot about what the episode will be about. I am personally rooting for there to be a stormy sea battle. Mm,
0: uh-huh. Yes, that makes a lot. Of, Stormborn has a lot of meanings. Obviously, Daenerys yeah. is clearly a reference, but mm. so is Euron. That's very much about him. He says, "I am the storm." So is Gendry, and so is Gendry, Gendry, okay. storm-ish, but yeah. also the winter storm. Yeah, right. The walkers are currently walking inside a storm of their own creation, uh, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. uh, and it's maybe, you know, a literary thing to say that they're born amidst a storm. Yeah, that that Mm -hmm. fits. Okay. Well, this is a big ol' episode, so I think we should shut it down. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, we're over two, hour, two and a half hours, and Aziz is going to have to edit this whole thing.
0: You know, try to get it out tomorrow morning for everybody. I'll be up late. I was up till 6.30 last night editing the uh, show-only review, but...
3: Meanwhile, me over here, normally I have to do all the video editing, but the live stream season is so much simpler in the post-production for my side. I have to do all the pre-production of getting the images ready, but it's like, whew, I'm done.
0: That is, by the way, one of the reasons we're doing live episodes. The main reason is that we get to interact with you guys more. That's just a lot more fun. Take Taking questions and doing that. Getting, yeah.
3: getting corrections. Getting on corrections. Yeah, yeah, we're
0: wrong sometimes, especially when we have only, uh, you know, we have less time to prepare than we usually have for our scripted episodes. So it's a little more likely that we make mistakes. But, um, yeah, so uh, thanks everybody. We'll be signing off here, and we'll see you next week. We hope um, to for a f- great full season. We're looking forward to the You'll rest of it.
3: You'll be able to uh, to Radio Westeros will be joining us each week, and you can tweet at us at Westeros History or at Radio Westeros if you have any comments or any thoughts, or just comment on YouTube, whatever your best method is. But we're yeah. all four of us are around and ready to hear your thoughts.
0: Yep, and certainly send us those questions in advance as soon as you have yeah. them. Yeah, gives us a little extra time to think about them, and that's that. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Radio Estros. Thanks, Ashea. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Valar, re us.